0: Till the song remains the same.
1: you the torch that lights the flame behind the music. Every time.
2: the day of the premiere of msv podcast is exactly our one year anniversary how about that how about that john you have me on i feel special Uh, whoever said you weren't now i could give that (laughs) background story we wanted to do something special i wanted to do something special for the one year anniversary the one year anniversary and the grand finale two completely different things so i was like well what are we going to do because january 21st is it gonna be maybe a mini sode with me and John just coming on and go, Oh, can you believe we actually did this for a year? You know, maybe and we, we, we did some. It.
3: Yeah.
2: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the magic thing happened where John started to get loopy and just completely checked out to a point where, wait, December 4th? We didn't have I have a gig on December 4th. I can't, I can't record on December 4th. What was that gonna be? the music talk with Mike Madden. And I was thinking the whole time, um, can you imagine though, but before leading up to December 4th, I'm like, well, wait, can you imagine if we had both, if we had Mike Madden, Richard Binder and DJ Nick all on one show, just talking about their love of music? Well, that would be like something else or not. And then it was, and then John said, wait, December 4th, I can't do December 4th. So I'm like, Okay, Mike, we're going to have to reschedule the show. And then, lo and behold, longer story, much shorter, we end up here on our one-year anniversary with DJ Nick, Richard Binder, Mike Madden, and you and I talking about music and all things music. So I would call that kismet.
1: Is
0: that how you say your name? Is it Binder, not Binder?
1: It's Binder, yeah. Okay. Binder? We're going we'll find find as, as long as you, as long as you
0: say,
1: I answer. I answer to a lot, so you know <laughs> is fine
0: too.
2: Hey, hey, you. Yep. Hey. Hi, yeah.
1: hi. Yeah, I'm
2: here. Um, uh, John. Then while we're while we're still at the top of the show, I wanted to mention something about Richard. Um, this is the Richard of the is, Famous Miyagi. The, oh, there. We so so the show up. You never know who's going to show up on MSV podcast, never. special guests. And um, so Richard, there was a very specific reason that you are moving and something you were concerned about in your space while recording this podcast. Would you like to share that with our
1: lesions of listeners and Nick, Mike and John and myself? Um, well, you know in the interests of being uh uh diplomatic yes. because the um the 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 reason in question is still rather connected although from a distance uh yes. to the building we are moving to i see so therefore i cannot be quite as open as i know you are dying for me to be oh so okay, okay. Yeah.
2: well that's fine that's completely okay. <laughs> we have but, editing. I if you if it the fact that he can't share it then means that if we leave that mm-hmm. in the audience can just use whatever imagination they have mm-hmm. and just say Richard has to move and there was an auditory
1: concern about why he had to move. That's it. I'll leave it at that. I will leave it at that. Acoustic <laughs> auditory concern. concern. That is that is probably the best <laughs> euphemism we could use at this juncture. So yeah, yeah I approve of that.
0: we can edit that out, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. So far, so far, um, what we're editing is 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 uh, 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 trumping. Pardon the expression. What's being left in? No, I'm just kidding. We've <laughs> anything about it. But it's going to be great. Mm. Um, so let me share my story here. Well, but before I do, actually, I don't want to forget again because. When we came back from the break, from Christmas break, Christmas and New Year's, um, the nature of that show prevented me from mentioning this. And then last week, our last show, we had way too many tech issues at the beginning, at the top, that the third time was a chum that I still forgot to mention it, that we do send condolences to the Friends, family, and fans of Betty White, Sydney Poitier, yeah. And the big shot was Bob Saget, uh, also over the break that we lost. Um, and uh, today, comedian, comedian Louis Anderson, who was a very, very funny man and an inspirational one too, if you ever read his books. Um, but we also lost Meatloaf today, and in leaving out any sort of anything but what he gave to the music community, I, I would say we lost a music legend today. And a, and a no, man certainly who certainly didn't. Yeah. And, and a man who I mean, the man was a musical theater actor is is really how he got started. And that I know nothing of the history. If any of you know more history, please throw it in. I do know, though, that he was a personal friend. Now, my father may very well. I've told stories on this show before that my father told to me he may very well have been uh, a, a real life big fish storyteller. But according to him, uh, Aunt Edna, his Aunt Edna, so my great Aunt Edna and Meatloaf would hang out when Meatloaf was in New York and that she, he, she, he was so, and there's a whole, like, just to describe who my Aunt Edna was, the movie Panic in Needle Park, apparently, this is my dad. Could they be true stories? Could they be fake stories? I don't know. But I mean, I do have proof that uh, my great-grandfather was the basis for Vorabianyov in Mel Brooks' Uh The Twelve Chairs. It's right there Uh in print in front of me that he's Vorabianyov. So why this story wouldn't be true, I don't know, that Aunt Edna and Meatloaf would hang out and uh, Meatloaf would take Aunt Edna out on his motorcycle and ride around Manhattan. That's what I was told. But, of course... He was big with musical theater. That's how he got his start. And I think, like uh, from what I remember, a record producer just said something about him making an album and taking his career in a different direction. And that's how it went down. Again, I'm not, I, I'm not as familiar with his background, but what he contributed. I mean, you look, you look at the albums "Bad Out of Hell," for example. I mean, that falls definitely in the categories of some of the best albums. If you ask some music historians meatloafs uh bad out of hell at least would probably show up on a mm-hmm. somewhere on a top 100 album list any comments I mean, on what that?
0: other album do you know what other album do you know that has like baseball announcements and like makes <laughs> the song better
1: you know, the funny thing about that is I remember, read, I remember reading somewhere that Phil Rizzuto had no idea that the context in which his little spiel was going to be used. So he was incredibly shocked when Paradise by the Dashboard Light actually was released. Um, and I remember reading that someplace. I don't know if it was just like publicity or, or whatever, but it's a, it's a good little story. Okay. But yeah, it's true. They really did kind of throw, you know, the kitchen sink of the kitchen sink into that album, you know, just to see just because Jim Steinman was such an over the top writer, you know, and he had these Mm -hmm. big, like, you know, just grand visions of how he wanted his music to sound because he was really like into Phil Spector. So like, you know, that whole wall of sound thing. And, um, you know, obviously there's a little bit of like a couple of nudges at Springsteen in there too. Um, who of course at that time was really thinking big about his music as well. And, um, it's it just the fact that like music that big where like every song is I don't think there's a every song is like the the shortest song I think on that album is like five minutes everything else is like this (laughs) epic length right I think side two when we had side two I thought it was 1979 but it might be 1977 yeah um because I remember being very 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 young (laughs) When we when I got that album. What um, year I remember not having been born yet at the time. <laughs> yeah.
2: What year um did the Rocky Horror
1: Picture Show, the movie, come out? Was that that was uh, seventy? Ooh. I wanted to say that's 72, I think. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. 75, 75, was 75. Oh, was it seventy five? Okay.
2: 75? Yep.
1: Right. Um so to, to
2: introduce everybody, before I get started on the uh, on music, everybody, thank you. Anybody else have any meatloaf memories they want to share? I, I do want to share that, and you'll hear in my story how I came late to the party, even in music altogether, that mm-hmm. a, Anything But Love and I Won't Do That was a big hit when I was a freshman. I was either a freshman or sophomore in high school. Probably, I think it was, it was, not, I so think I was a freshman. Sure it was, freshman. I'm pretty sure was, it was
0: 93. That that one came out, yeah.
2: I, I must yeah. admit, I have never heard anything like that song, and it really was my introduction to Meatloaf. And then, you know, looking back, I mean, whether he was my personal taste or not, I always loved that song. Um, and it was a huge hit in and of itself. That you know, I, I, I'm not sure that I. I, I mean, the man. Whether I became a fan of his or not, there was no denying his passion, his uniqueness, and his showmanship. And that's it. So uh, the music world did lose a legend today in Meatloaf, and we give our condolences to all his uh, friends, family, and fans. Um, he had a so, great comeback, have,
1: though. He had an he amazing did. comeback. I have
0: a, I have a very... Um, I mean, of course, you know, Meatloaf was in, uh, what's that movie, Fight Club. He was in... Uh, one episode of Monk, where like I he didn't even realize it was him.
2: He was in Wayne's he World. Was in...
0: Okay, yeah.
2: but okay, that's yeah.
0: not. I mean, yeah, like, I... Okay, and was he? Did he play himself
2: in Wayne's World? Tiny in the uh, World. Yeah. the gasworks the gasworks bouncer.
0: <laughs> it was the bouncer. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay.
2: All right. Tiny, Who's okay, playing today? So John the Shitty Beatles. Beatles.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that's not just a clever name i um (laughs) i remember actually i would do anything for love was the first meatloaf song that i had ever heard so i thought that that was kind of like i thought he was new at the time i didn't i didn't realize that he had been around for almost uh almost 20 years and then yeah well you know i was in fifth grade at the time what the hell did i know so you know i remember always making fun of that song i liked it but i made fun of the video i made fun of the song because it was It's like That was it's our
3: slow dance long. song
0: for our high school <laughs> dances.
3: Every dance, yeah, that was wrong, a slow dance coming. song. Everybody, wow. yeah, that was yeah. the song you asked for Meatloaf, and that was the everybody fun. come out on the floor, and that was the slow song for the, what the six mm-hmm. minutes and how many seconds it was <laughs> that that song went wow. on. But mid nineties, it was Meatloaf. Yeah. That was the go to song.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: The funny but thing was, is the original.
1: The original like track, the original yeah. album track, I, mm-hmm. I Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that, is actually twice that length. And well, I would argue that like, you really like, haven't experienced like, I Do Anything for Love right. until you've actually heard all 12 minutes.
2: I gotta look for that on
0: YouTube. Basically what, what they did what they did in that song was well like the, the intro to that song was like half the song, right?
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. And
0: and for, And for MTV and the radio, I think they just, they started with, and I would do anything for love, but yeah, there's that whole intro track. Yeah. Well, track, it's just the the first half of the song. And it it is, it's quite a remarkable (laughs) song. Uh,
1: They they cut cut that down considerably for radio and for MTV, but it's also an echo to like the first Bad Out of Hell album because the you know, Bat Out of Hell, the title track that, you know, that opens the, the album, it also has like this intro that goes on for like maybe two and a half minutes before we get to the actual mm-hmm. proper song. So, you know, <laughs> right. And because Jim Simon was finally back involved with Meatloaf, you know, because they had this massive falling out. And, you know, you could argue that, you know, um, without, without either one of them in the mix, neither one of them would have really been as as huge as they were. Um, You know, Jim Simon probably would not have been as big a songwriter without Meatloaf as, you know, as he eventually became. And Meatloaf is like the the premier interpreter of like all of that Jim Steinman bombast. You know, he did stuff, you know, Air Supplies recorded Jim Steinman. Celine Dion has recorded Jim Steinman. Barry Manilow has recorded Jim Steinman. But, you know, Meatloaf's got that thing that just hooks into all that really ridiculous drama that yet you take really seriously. You know, it's weird that you can walk that line between like parody and sincerity the way Meatloaf could do in his prime. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But yeah, bad out of, you know, so, you know, the fact that they were back together again, James Steinman's like, well, I got to write like an epic intro again, right? Because it's it's Bad Out of Hell part two. Um, So that was part of like, I think the joy of revisiting all of this stuff you know, the fact that it came back at just the right time, and I think people were really, I don't know, you know, like I think um, it was 93, right? So, yes. and so yeah. Like yeah. Rent, it was, so, like, Rent was suddenly really... big, right? The musical Rent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the Who's Tommy was also coming out, you know, around the same time, so mm-hmm. there was all this, like, I'm, dramatic I'm rock and roll.
3: About.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, there's all this, like, Dramatic, like musical theater type stuff that's really catching people's attention. So it was like the time seemed to be really ripe for Meatloaf and Jim Steinman to come roaring back again because it was in the air. And it was really kind of neat to see, you know, the fact that, like, you know, like I said, it was a hell of a comeback. And it was so great, you know, to see the appreciation for like what they could do. I think it was very short lived, unfortunately, but um, it was still great that it happened at all. You just but gave. That song-
0: that song was just, like, in the air forever after that. Mm-hmm. Like, it just mm-hmm. never went away.
2: So and of course, uh, yeah, was, was, uh, then, well, no, there was always that, you know, uh, Wayne's World MTV special that everybody was always, yeah, but what's the one thing he won't do for love, but I won't do that? It's a mystery. Nobody <laughs> ever knows. And it was a question that everybody <laughs> was always, it was always this, like, go-to punchline. It was, we'll do anything for love, but won't do that. What does he mean? Does he mean,
1: like, put a strap-on on? on, It could be anything. Like, what does it mean? But he says it at the end. You just have to hang in there, man. You got to hang in for, 6 to 12 minutes to get there. (laughs) But did you know that
0: that there is actually, like, in the song, and Meatloaf, I think it was Storytellers VH1, that Meatloaf actually had, like, a marker board and, like, explained that he (laughs) said what he won't do in like the last part of each verse and it would have made more sense. I would do anything for love. And I won't do that. Meaning like, I won't fuck you over. I won't do this. I won't do that. It's not actually a mystery. People make it a mystery, but he actually, he says what he wouldn't do.
2: That's, you know, that's exactly what M night Shyamalan said about the sixth sense that the secret is there. If you look for it. And Richard, you just demonstrated perfectly perfectly why I wanted you on this show because see so Richard and I so I'll give everybody a formal introduction so I might as well start with Richard because we're on Richard uh, so it's 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 MSV podcast I'm Greg I'm moderating tonight I talk about music uh everybody okay. will get a chance to introduce hello everybody uh everybody's gonna okay. get a chance <laughs> okay. everybody will get a chance to introduce themselves uh before I go on uh with the story um but Richard so you and I met in 2006. We auditioned you yeah. for a production of ours. And it was always, okay, we're going to work with this guy. The audition went great, even if you think to the contrary. But so it's like, okay, we, we're going to, okay, save this guy's info because we're going to work with him. We're going to work with him. We're going to work with him. And then social media comes around and our, our late dear friend, David Thomas Crow is on Facebook and, and there's uh, Richard Binder, and I'm like, oh, there's the guy. And I still had his headshot and resume. But it's like, oh, oh, there's the guy that I want to work with. Let me add him. He'll put two and two together that he knows me through David, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we were social media friends. And then in that time, anytime I made any kind of reference to music and Richard like made thousands of references to music, we would chat a little bit. But then it got to a point where I don't know who this song and artist is. Let me message Richard. I don't, I want to know the backstory of this song. I, so why don't I message Richard? Then Richard Binder would go and and post his playlists. And I'm like, these are songs and artists I never even heard of. Let me check some of them out. And I would, and it would be opening me. This was before even Pandora radio existed. Cause it was like two years before I even got a Pandora account. And that, so that's how I'm like, Man, does this guy know music. So our first introduction on our panel tonight, Richard Binder.
1: How are you? And welcome formally. Oh, thank you. It's good to see you after like, I mean, this is the first time I've seen you relatively face to face in like 15 years, right? Geez, 2006. It doesn't feel that
2: way because we were connected on social media. And then, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, David passed away. So then everybody bonded over that. I, I, you know any of his mutual friends? You know, and and speaking of him, and I, I do, I am a very fickle Facebook user, as all four of you know. So, like, I always like do think about that. Ah, oh, David, oh, but I don't have David on my friends list. But you know, it, it's still. But yeah, it doesn't feel like that for anybody. Um, like I recently, over the summer when I went to the Star Trek 4 screening, some of these people I hadn't seen in like fifteen years. It was just a bunch of Trekkies reuniting people that happen to be Trekkies Arena. so that's what this reminds me of, but yeah, face-to-face. So like, you know, everybody now knows the secret that I'm bald, you know, <laughs> now. but, uh, but yeah, other than, yeah, it has been a long time. And, uh, it, it, it you know, David said, you know, if anything, you've got to read this guy, you've got to meet this guy. And we did, and I did, and I did love him and I did, uh, uh, Always have his, uh, uh, for the all things random stuff, his information on file. And then came this, I'm like, well, this guy clearly has the same kind of passion for music. I just, an actor, musician. And uh, so obviously he was a, a perfect choice for the show. And then on the show, who was the original book guest, we have Mike Madden. How are you, Mike?
4: Yay! I am
2: fantastic. How's it going? You look fantastic and you look relaxed. And I, uh, I, as far as, you know, when I, again, we'll get into my story and my music story, but when I got into REM for, and unfortunately it was very close to their breakup because I couldn't wait to see these guys live and that might come up in my like music history, but I can't tell you how many of my closest internet friends i met through primus and rem and then just music as a whole it really brings people together like like nothing else does i mean sure speaking as somebody from star trek fandom any fandom brings people together any fandom whether whether it's star trek harry potter star wars or lord of the rings it brings people together but not like music i i i know talking to people at concerts and the bond that you get, and sometimes meeting people at concerts and then keeping in touch with them for years. And then meeting people uh, since social media came around as fans of music groups, you all add each other. Everybody adds each other as friends because they're like, oh my God, what this person is saying is, is like exactly what I'm thinking about this band. And like so on and so forth as it comes to music on the internet and talking about music, so Mike came from that, and I think Mike, your passion for music is um, is admirable, and I've never seen anything matched. And uh, your entire network of Facebook, your whole your whole existence on Facebook is for the music, isn't it? It is. Um, just from musicians
3: reaching out, like some of my yeah. idols, uh, Bruce Thomas of Elvis Costello and Attractions. Uh, me and him talk every once in a while. Um, mm, reaching yeah. out to him, me hooking you up with uh, the guys from Turtle Wet Sprocket. Yeah, um, having conversations with them every once in a while. But just the stories. I'm yeah. My, the punk rock community—that's mm. my thing. I love REM. Yeah. I love my '80s bands and stuff. But like for my the brotherhood and my music on social media it's my punk rock community and i've met so many people like you like john like richard just because of music and yeah, um it's yeah. it's and meeting different musicians and everything like that it's been amazing
2: i i couldn't believe myself how friendly some of these musicians are on facebook are the ones that accept their fans and not only accept their fans i mean you guys know how many accounts i've had so It it, it varies of who I've been, but like, I couldn't believe, uh, when, uh, Brian Kehoe of, uh, of, uh, Les Claypool's Duo de Twang, accepted my friend request and then would actually talk to me. And I would then make reference to Electric Apricot, which was Les Claypool's movie that he was in. And, uh, I said, you, you know, like, uh, can i you know like making reference to that movie and then he makes a reference to me right back it was just uh, absolutely amazing and it's like it makes your day and just like if you're on the, twitter following musicians and bands and they like something or they interact with you it just makes your day and um and, and that just it just shows you that music bonds people like no other it I mean, is even. and it's the,
3: the best one and she's amazing vanessa Briscoe. Hey lead singer pylon now it's the pylon um reenactment society but she's she's so in touch with her fans you reach out to her like if you tag her in her post or something it sh- you just don't get a thumbs up or a, uh hey she'll be like thank you hope everything's okay yeah. um you're amazing like love the love and support and i got conversations
2: I had that with the beautiful Marie Digby. Everybody know who Marie Digby is?
1: No, she's but I
2: Marie that. Digby, no. Well, she's an, she's an indie artist and she has this great song called Spell and she's okay. doing a Facebook Live. She's doing a social media or Facebook Live, whatever it was. And I said, please do Spell. And you know, I'm like, well, she's never going to get to my comment. And then she's like, well, I'm sorry, I can't get to every... Who's this? Greg Vora play Spell. Okay, I have a request for Spell. Let me do that. And she's almost like... <laughs> It's just amazing and then we have on the panel our new semi-regular of the show whose music is actually his bread and butter DJ Nick welcome again to the show DJ Nick hey,
4: hey Greg well first off congrats for reaching one year on the podcast and definitely very very happy you, to sir. be here and of course yes. uh, you know discuss uh, you know our passion for this art form so I'm very very happy to be here indeed
2: Yes, Uh, short and sweet, right?
4: Mm -hmm. And uh,
2: and then, of course, (laughs) then of course, my co-host John, who is a longtime friend of mine and my longtime only co-host of this show, (laughs) Matt McHenry (laughs) left, and John, of course, the whole time knowing him, you know, not only is he a professional drummer. A paid drummer, a paid artist? I mean, come on. I, guess, I, guess Don't buzz out. That I get, that's I that's unheard of. That's unheard of. And uh, the fact that he's, uh, you would have been asked as a guest if you weren't the co host of this show. You would have been asked as a guest here.
0: Well, um, I, I feel very honored just to know that. Although I do have something, something, something that is monumentous today that, that yeah. happened to me. Please. I, um, to I do recently music? Bought a, uh, no, sort of, but okay. no. <laughs> I, I recently bought a, uh, a a pack of 20 pairs of socks. And today is the, like, I'm wearing the last brand new pair of socks today while I'm doing the show. So, you know, I, I figured you should all know that.
1: On the one-year anniversary.
0: So, <laughs> on the one-year anniversary. See? Brand new that's pair
1: of socks.
3: This,
0: now that's kismet. This is a newish <laughs> shirt, but I've worn this a couple of times before. But the socks, brand new, never wore them before.
2: Um, so. I, I should have thought of wearing a band shirt, but I am in fact wearing a Deep Space Nine shirt, and Mike has his Star Wars slash not really a fan of Donald Trump shirt, and that's awesome. <laughs> All for you, mm-hmm. bud. And that's also we all have like our fandoms uh, represented very well, um, but yeah. And then John, we found out. So we were we were always friends on social media. But then we found I found out that you weren't my friend when I said, "Can I meet you at this Primus concert?" Because you put the tickets online. I'm going, and I "Hey, John, it's me." anybody who doesn't listen to the show, but this show it's funny anyway. I said, John, it's me, Greg. We met through a mutual friend and we met at two parties, which John, I, I obviously did not make an impression because I said, John, I'll be at that show tonight too. Should we meet at the door? And his answer to that was, do I even know you? And <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I wish that I wasn't repeating myself, but that's the real story, was do I even know you? I get, i went uh, like, I'm like, like, so in my head, I'm like, um, Greg, you don't know who Greg Vorob is? I'm like, well, this will, Hello? This will help. Well, I'm like, this will help. You know, I'm the Seidenstein's friend. Yeah, that doesn't help me. I don't know who you are, dude. Yeah, we met, <laughs> we met at Mark's housewarming party. Well, we've been friends on Facebook now for whenever that Concert was. I don't know. We've been friends because of, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know who you are, except like anybody who adds me. I really do not know you, and uh, please leave me alone, or I will call the police. No, he didn't. He goes. That's well, that did happen. <laughs> he goes. Yes. No, I, I. I don't remember you, but maybe I'll know you when I see you. I'm going to be there early, so yeah. If you're if you're there, please just uh, come and meet me. And it, it, you know, it evolved from there. Even though I couldn't meet him that night at the concert because uh, we got there later than he did. Um, a, a friendship really did bloom out of that. So we mm-hmm. have music to thank for that. So let me just share my story, Ooh. which is actually a story to tell. And this is my story about music. And okay, so I was one of those people growing up whose parents, I, I, I mean, sometimes you're into things because your parents are or that your friends are or you get into something yourself and, and, and it just kind of went like this. I, I listened to the radio was basically my idea of music as a kid, but was I into it? Was I aware of it? No. Um. Very funny story. Cause I want to fast forward a little bit. The first band, if you want to call them a band that I was ever into because I was like, I wanted to get into a band because now by this point, so 1996, I get my first CD player. So that's huge. And so I wanted to be everybody at this time in high school is talking about Nirvana. They're talking about Pearl Jam. They're talking about uh, Soundgarden. You know, that's what's big in my school. But I'm like, they've never heard this amazing erasure, though. And (laughs) I was like into erasure. And and so like a song of theirs plays on the radio. So what was their big radio hit at this time? It was after A Little Respect. I liked a little respect. Because it was always, yep. It was always, because we're going back to, like, 93 or something, It's like, when I first started. Yeah, I said, I'm always like, was a big one. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing song. And so it's almost like part of me was, was true about it, and another part of me was like, I need a favorite band. I need a band <laughs> that identifies who I am, and I don't know the history of erasure. It didn't matter. It didn't matter who their big fan base was or whatever, but I went and I got that album on cassette. I Say, I Say, I Say was the name of the album. And I'm like, oh my God, I am enamored with this band. I didn't know I wasn't, quote, cool. I just knew I knew what I liked. And eventually (laughs) I had every Erasure album and I was in Erasure. I was big at Erasure. So in high school, you know, so I remember talking to like, this girl's strictly platonically, even if it wasn't platonic, it would have been after. And I said, and she's like, so I grew up kind of music into. And I was like, well, yeah, it, you know, there's this band erasure. I really like Erasure." And she's like, never heard of them. Like, you don't like, and I don't think like she was like beyond like the Pearl jam stuff. Like she was probably, um, Everybody was certainly into that, but like there was there was another like the really dark, like different kinds of like goth bands that were around at that time. I'm not sure if if I'm if I'm correct, Korn and Manson were already getting known around that time in my in high school years or 93, 94, 94, 94. Okay, the American family. ninety four.
0: Manson, Manson, like he he released his first album in '94, but he probably started becoming popular in about '96 with uh, Antichrist Superstar. Mm-hmm. So I'm, all right, Yeah. So just
2: so she was more all about like the corn and uh, uh, Ramstein. It just got yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, you just haven't lived because you haven't heard Erasure. And I'm like, here, I'll I'll copy you Erasure stuff. And uh, I saw her the next day, and it was like so you listen to erasure she's like yeah so erasure sucks and uh please get away from me but i don't know i stood by (laughs) erasure being the best but then 19 when 1996 came and i got my first cd player i of course was all about the columbia house stuff the the 15 cds for a penny stuff you know i started to just anything i liked on the radio essentially i would just like buy the singles or buy the albums. And it was just like, there was this casual thing. Of course, I had my erasure obsession. I think I would buy things like movie soundtracks. It didn't matter. If I loved the movie, I would buy the soundtrack, even if I didn't think, you know, one in particular that was like the weirdest soundtrack ever made was Coneheads. But please give it props yeah. for being, be, give it props for being as eclectic as it was, though. It had that great Red Hot Chili, one of the best Red Hot Chili Peppers song, in my opinion, is um uh that song. I the name is blank I mean but it's from the Conehead <laughs> soundtrack. Um wait, I can afford to blank because we can edit on it.
0: Uh Wait, what are you trying to figure out here?
2: The name
1: You're of the Red Hot Chili Pepper song thing. on the Conehead soundtrack, right? Wait, right. There, I'll uh, tell you uh,
0: what. Let me let me use my device and I'll I'll find it. Well, ironically.
1: That yeah. Ironically, if I'm right. not mistaken on the Conehead soundtrack, the lead singer of Erasure, sings "No More Tears" with Katie Lang. Am I right? I I, I do no? not remember this or know this. It's Andy Bell, right? Andy Andy Bell?
3: Star, oh, right? yeah, Andy Bell. Okay. You Yeah. Greg,
2: you no about more
3: tears. About nothing's enough. is enough. About... Andy Bell.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great the cover. Soldier Sweet,
3: So thank you.
1: Yeah, Soldier Sweet. It's
2: yeah, like one of the suite. best Erasure, songs. and then of course. There was the. Uh, it happens to be a beautiful movie, by the way. Anybody who doesn't know the film *Angus*, it it had though an amazing soundtrack. Oh, and there was actually yeah. a Green Day single, a Green Day yeah. single off that one that was made just for that movie. And uh, the uh, 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 that great song that from uh, the lead singer of the psychedelic Furs is a side project or other project movie. There's a uh, see see. I'm blanking, but it doesn't matter. But so. Some and great then, stuff. I want to Oh, Love, Spit, Love. Love, Spit, Love, love right? Love, Spit, Love, That's, thank you. Am yeah. I wrong? Am I wrong by Love, Spit, Love? Amazing. It, it wasn't made for Angus, but it was popularized again in that movie. Okay. Um, so that was my, my thing at that point um, for, for music. So, I, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that didn't listen to music, but so it was... I bought soundtracks to movies I liked, I, I bought singles, I I bought. I did Columbia stuff, I would just buy random albums so I could get my 16 albums for a penny. But it wasn't until after high school graduation in 1997 when I essentially didn't have a TV. Uh, I lived in Queens and I was working with my dad and we essentially worked sunup to sundown. It was a very dark time because I had no aspirations at the time, which is why my dad, he was kind of playing tough love with me that year. And he's like, you don't want to go to college? Fine. I'll show you a year of life. And then you'll want to go to college. I had no direction. I had no aspirations. I think I knew by that time, well, I definitely want to be an actor. But I but my thought of becoming an actor was, okay. I'll sit around and just wait to become an actor. I mean, it it was just ridiculous. So A lack of aspiration
1: is essential to become an actor. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I had no TV.
2: So what did I have for entertainment? I had my Sony Walkman and I had my tapes, but also I would just be listening to the radio, but not only would I listen to at the time we had K-Rock, but I would go from K-Rock to light. You know, anytime there's a commercial, you change the station but there was no genre that I didn't appreciate. I started to listen to, I finally was like, wow, all this stuff that everyone listened for four years of high school, here's the Nirvana, here's the Soundgarden, here's the Pearl Jam. Oh my God, this is amazing. Here's this, here's that. But yeah. then I would go to the classical stations. I would go to the, um, uh, the light FM stations. I would be on uh, uh, you know, top 40 stations. So that was my entertainment for a whole year was just discovering all this music. And then not only was I discovering it, I had to know everything there was to know about everything that I was hearing. I had to get all these albums and within, so fast forward to damn that year straightened me out um, because I did decide to go to college and major in theater. And by that time, so college comes around and then by that time I was hooked on music and it wasn't just about the music. It was about finding out the history of the songs and the songwriters and hearing work of just songwriters. Like you want to hear the work of, uh, Richard, you should know this. Who's the, uh, the, was it Martin page was a big songwriter of like, well, he wrote for heart, but who else did he write for people like him? People like David Foster, People like, you know, hearing, wow, this person wrote this song and wrote this song for this band. And by that time, music became my go-to entertainment. So now here's the part where I'm going to sound pretentious. But, and as, as much as I don't want it to sound pretentious, it still will. Once I got into acting and started training as an actor... All I was doing when I was watching a film, not that it didn't entertain me, but all I started to do was watch the acting and their techniques and go, oh, I see what you did there. Oh, I see what you did there. But with music, I was blissfully unaware. I was not a musician. Sure, I dabbled and had five weeks of guitar lessons. I I tried, of course, in grade school, they made you play the recorder. What the fuck was up with that? (laughs) I picked the (laughs) trombone to play in bands so that I got out of a class one time. So now that's a story for another, in and of itself, that I'm walking around with a giant trombone because I have trombone (laughs) practices just so that I could get out of a class. I mean, ridiculous things all that, like that happened through history, but I was certain after five weeks of guitar lessons that I wasn't even interested because you know what? I was like, you know what? I watch and then add the filmmaking aspect to it in the film producing. I mean, they're not a list movies by any means. Um, But knowing the process of filmmaking and the process of acting and watching TV shows and movies and watching them from a point of view of, ah, I see what you did there. With music, I had music. It was just became the pure. I didn't care that I wasn't a musician. It's like, you know what? I don't want to be a musician. I want this to stay. I mean, what do you do to celebrate music? What do you do when you're sad? Find the saddest music you can. I I mean, the emotions that music brought up. I mean, it's not like I'm saying I can't watch a good film, a good play, and that acting and actors do not move me. But it's like, but that's my trade and my work. And music, I could just get lost in and not have to think about a damn thing. And, you know, with... Like Sean, for example, of course, musician. And I I could be listening to any kind of random song and go, oh my God, uh, Sean, I just discovered such and such and so and so song. And he goes, yeah, it's an okay song, but he doesn't hit that octave, blah, blah. And they're a little, the drumming in that. So like, like I listen to Metallica's Saint Anger and I go, this is a fucking amazing rocking song. I'm pissed off, I'm gonna put on this song. But musicians are like, Dude, that's a horrible fucking song. You know what? I don't care. And
0: you know, all right, Greg, can, can I yeah. can I qualify that just just a little bit now? Like you're saying, so like you are to acting what the rest of us seem to be to music, right? So, I mean, I
2: Richard's an actor too. It's, I was yes, but yeah, good.
0: All right. I mean, like, not to say that I don't know anything about acting, but I don't know enough oh, yeah. about acting that I like really notice the technical aspects of it and all that. Mm-hmm. um saying anger saying anger like you're saying like oh it sounds terrible yeah it it's, this has nothing to do with me being a musician it sounds like lars is banging on trash cans on that <laughs> song and <laughs> it's just, just like, definitely so it's what everyone to me. Says yes. and,
3: and
2: right. a shout and out. A
0: shout out. Out. yeah right and now like we'll take we'll take. Like what Sean says and Sean can be a little frustrating to talk to because he is he is very technical he is yes. right he is very technical and if he listens to this Sean I love you so very much it's, this is not a personal thing that I'm saying but Sean is very technical about the music and is like oh he doesn't hit this and he should have done this and instead he did this and blah 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 and it's like I may have those thoughts but it doesn't get in the way of me enjoying it on an emotional level many musicians are that way many musicians are that way and and i i don't like i don't envy them you know i'm i (laughs) consider myself to be a very serious musician i play many instruments and you know i understand the the dynamics the ins and outs um but i feel if anything that makes it more enjoyable for me but a lot of musicians are just sort of like it doesn't, it doesn't fall perfectly, so therefore I don't enjoy it. It's
2: like, eh, it, I, you know, go Oh, for it. absolutely. Oh, no. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm not saying that every actor, mm-hmm. I, I, and I'm not saying that I can't get lost in a great film or great movie. It just became that, you know, music sure. just became my number one escape. Just the way mm-hmm. that I, and of course, if I'm like acting all day, or if I'm in like a four-hour class, uh, in the city all day. I want to unwind with music. I don't want the television on. I don't want to go to the, I want to go to a great concert, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. Richard, as an actor and a musician, oh my goodness. Um,
1: so much lack of aspiration. <laughs> um, my thing wasn't, it, it wasn't really about
2: that I can't enjoy music movies and, and appreciate them for what they are. It's just that I'm just always watching something and seeing techniques of filmmakers or techniques of actors, and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh, I see that. And with music, I could just get lost. I was just wondering if, as an actor-musician, um, if, if anything similar of that nature uh, happens to you in terms of, if, if one can entertain you a little bit better than the other in the arts, in either one of those terrific art forms, film, theater, television, and, and music together, um, uh, what, if you are looking at it as a artist, a fellow artist, or, um, or, or from technical terms and anything, uh, to, of, of what I just comment on about how music is my pure escape,
1: I think there's I mean for me I think it's you know you've got two parallel tracks going on at the same time. You know there's a part of you that is recognizing the technical aspects of whatever it is you're listening to whatever it is I'm listening to, you know, I can say, "Oh, you know, the bass went up to the third instead of staying on the instead of staying on the, don, you know, staying on the tonic or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um and um or, or whatever like the singer chooses you think the singer is going to hit this particular note but they fake you out and they actually go someplace else mm. um, and you know you you get wrapped up I think in the artistry of it and um, that doesn't necessarily um, take away from your getting lost um, I think that's a part of getting lost too when I, I think there's an appreciation for you know if you've ever, made music and obviously, you know, you're an actor, you know what it's like to make a film and, you know, it's like to be on stage and try and sustain a character throughout a night, Um, you know, what it's like to play ball with somebody on stage and hope that they hit the ball back in quite an interesting way so you can hit it back. You know, I mean, being a musician, it's the same thing. Um, uh, I don't think that one necessarily cancels out the other. I think, Maybe when things are, and maybe this is the same way when you're watching a film too, when you're, there's some kind of, I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess there's some kind of comfort in predictability, you know, like you just know, even the first time hearing living on a prayer, dude's going for the typical Barry Manilow key change by the end of that sucker. You know, it's coming, you, you know, and knowing that it's coming is kind of like, depending on where you sit on this fence, it's kind of like a joy in itself. It's like, aha, I knew it. Ah, That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> and at the same time, you're sort of like, you know, Jesus Christ, John, you know, couldn't you have done something else? You know, it's a little corny, right? But then, you know. <laughs> well,
0: but, like, I, have I to mean, to don't listen to, to Bon Jovi in, in an effort to to have like very aspirational music. He's just sort of like, he belts those notes, he gets it done, and it's just fun to yeah. listen to.
1: and that's the thing you know i mean i used to have like a really bad i'm from new jersey so you know bon jovi was like the stone in my shoe for a long time absolutely yeah you know yeah you know i mean it was sort of like um you know i didn't mind springsteen i got i got into springsteen very comparatively late as like a person from new jersey Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because it was like it was a weird kind of like slippery slope um you know uh, somehow or other, weirdly enough, Meatloaf kind of led into Springsteen, you know, in a back-ass kind of way. So I was like, oh, this is what you guys are making fun of. Now I get it, right? But the first album that, you know, that really hit me for Springsteen was Darkness at the Edge of Town, which comparatively speaking is not like the big production number that Born to Run was or even like the Wild, the Innocent, the East Street Shuffle was. It's very, comparatively speaking, it's very stark. Um, you know, it's very bare bones. Um But, um, but yeah, Bon Jovi was sort of like, if you take, like, I always figured like journey was kind of like what you get when you skim off the top of Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi Mm -hmm. is what you get when you skim off the top of journey, you know? (laughs) Um, and, and so, and now, you know, and I used to have like a really bad attitude, about it, you know, but I. But you run into people, if you live long enough, you run into people who are going to tell you that the song you grew up hating is the song that saved their life. Wow. It's the song that yeah. kept them That'd from... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a song that kept them from a really bad period. It's a song that actually yeah. is the reason why you get to talk to them at this particular moment about the song you hate. Yes. And so, you know, you, you, if you're, you know, I would hope, I would hope just because I think it's, I mean, I know, you know, everybody's got opinions, everybody's got passionately held opinions, and it's great to have passionately held opinions. Sure. But there is, for me at least, there's a, there's a lot of humility. Uh there's a lot of virtue in the humility that you gain from sort of going, Yeah, you know, if Bon Jovi's what gets you through the night, then you know Exactly. Body.
2: Thumbs but, up and, to and thumbs and, up and to John and Richie
1: and company, right?
2: Richard, you just made an excellent and, point because and and, yeah. and
0: Tico and, and yeah,
2: yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you, you make you made an excellent point, Richard. In that, I of course, if somebody loves a Tom Cruise movie, I don't, you know, say you do know Tom Cruise is terrible, don't you? No, I agree with you there. Aren't about where, you, you like, trash? You hit, right, but you hit the nail on the head about. I think that gives a great parallel in the difference of what I believe music does for people and what film and television does for people and when you said a song because it was actually oh my god I'll get teared up if I I cry please cut it out though uh, Nick Um, see I didn't know I was in love until I heard R.E.M's at my most beautiful and Hmm. so that song and that's of course one of the songs that like did it for me for R.E.M Nick cut out if I cry but do not cut out the choked up for Clint part I'll give you guys a topic a tic tac is neither a tic nor a tac. Disgust. Yeah, I'm like, it, it it was music. It was music that I'm like, oh holy shit, I feel this way, and so it it was. Um, I I didn't know how I was feeling, and then like a song once told me. So I'm like, that is so much. That is a different moving thing than a great performance or a great beautiful film. Let's look at the the film that just came to me in my head is like. You look at a film like Schindler's List, it's beautiful for so many different reasons. But the thing, Richard, that you hit the nail on the head on was that songs and music does a different thing to people that I think... So just, I mean, of course, I'm sharing an opinion here. Of course, you could look at a great film and go, oh, my God, that film, I, I relate to it, it moves me, whatever. But it, it was music for me that went, oh, shit. I'm getting to know who I am as a person. I'm getting to know mm-hmm. myself. The, these songs are speaking to my soul in that way. And that is what music did for me that I can't say that now, some people might say, isn't that weird? I'm a musician and films and performances do that for me and not music. It doesn't matter because in my mind, there's no wrong interpretation of art. But at all, and anybody has a side note listen to robert wool's hunk of shit monologue there's a monologue about a painting and it's called hunk of shit and just watch that thing and so for me you you hit the nail on the head there yes so it's hearing songs like at my most beautiful from rem to realize that i'm in love it was songs like off he goes by pearl jam that said oh my god i know this guy and i am this guy so mm. that could probably sum up my whole, okay, so it's music that hits me in the gut. And mm. and I can also just escape <coughs> it. I don't give a shit about what notes people hit or if Lars's drumming sounds like shit. I, I I just don't give a damn. If I like it, I like it. And it just became that music moved me in a way like other things didn't do. And that's just my personal story. Everybody can else can have their personal story, but it all came back to that for me. And that, and that was where my passion came from. And so we will move on to um, we, we have, we've heard actually the littlest from DJ Nick. So give us your summary of how music, cause now you, you make a living with music. And you're on the radio and you're a dj and you're uh, it's your profession and you and mike can fight right now about country but don't worry i have your <laughs> back <Nick>. um <laughs> I'm gonna get, i don't think there's a single piece of a genre of music from everything from from rock alternative rap hip-hop and country and easy listening that i haven't enjoyed and i think i always say this about people i say if you do not open your mind to every genre of music, you are doing yourself a tremendous disservice. That's always been something I said. So um, we can work a little bit with that. But Mick, let's, let's hear from you.
4: Well, um, w- you, when it comes to me, I think it is very much a case of relativ- relativity and re- relatability in the sense that I think no matter what art form you look at, If Mm -hmm. if it hits you, that's what matters. I mean, there are folks who are horror movie buffs and to them, horror movies speak to. Or there are folks who will literally cry in front of a painting. I mean, heck, I took a friend of mine over here in Milan, Italy, to see uh, the Last Supper, and she broke out into tears when she actually wow. looked at the Last Supper because it hit her that hard. So I think there isn't a an art form that can't speak to to somebody on some level. So you know, for, for some it might be music, for some it might be film, for some it might be uh, art, for some it might be even a book. I mean, uh, I actually mm. remember a, an anecdote that uh, my mother told me when she was uh, she was young and she started dating my dad, and he and they were holidaying somewhere on the, the, you know, seaside resort. And he found her like sitting down in front of a book, crying her eyes out. And she, and he asked her, what was, what's the matter? And she said, you know, my favorite character died. He didn't get it because my father Mm -hmm. is a man of science and to him, everything Mm -hmm. is logic. So, but she was bawling because the favorite character in the book died. So I think any art form can very much speak to you, regardless of what it is. It just depends who you are as a person and the experiences that you've had. So that's the way I stand when it comes to that. Um, When it comes to my, should we say, personal experience within the music world, uh, I had a very brief stint as a drummer in a glam rock band because my brother was the, the uh, should we say, the Mozart of the of ba- of the of the family, and I was the Salieri of the family. So what happened <laughs> was he was the genius in a sense. At 13 years old, or even actually at 12 years old, he was playing Yngwie Malmsteen songs without any problems. Oh, wow. So he was literally Ow, a wow. child prodigy. So he was sitting down. when We actually did a show, and he was the youngest – Person there was like in their 30s, and they had the, it was crazy to see this 12 year old sitting down, surrounded by musicians, just listening enraptured to this child prodigy who could literally play Malmsteen at 12. Because my the thing about my brother is he has a very natural ear for music, so he can mm-hmm. sing any you can just put him in front of an instrument, he will play it even if he's never played it once. I mean, I'm a I dabble in drumming. And actually, one time when we were practicing, I went out to have a smoke and my brother said, can I have a go on the drums? I'm like, sure, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I was out smoking and I hear uh, on the like, on the edge of hearing, I can hear like a beat being being uh, you know kind of played. I go in and my brother is literally playing as if he played forever. But just, that's just the gift he got. He's abandoned music now. And I, a, there is a saying over here in Italy is those who have bread don't have teeth. And I think and, and vice versa. I think that's the question. The, the situation with my brother is he has the talent, but he's not interested in pursuing music as a career, even though he could. I got
2: you.
3: Yeah.
4: But, um, but that's just his thing. No, me personally. I mean, I just got into music, um, as I said, through my dad, who's actually a blues and jazz guitarist and uh my mom used to play violin when she was young and so we kind of had music around the house and stuff and, yeah my my and uh, and after that you know just kind of pursued music journalism and i've been a music journalist for like 20 years at this point and uh, dj for uh, for roughly that amount of time and yeah oh, wow. i mean i, I dabbled in various genres I, I actually started having a rock and metal show and then i got into country because of a uh, a lady I was dating in Virginia. My first time in the states. I uh, a place I ever visited was actually Harrisonburg, Virginia, and that's where basically my love of country music uh, happened. And uh, yeah, just started the country music radio show, and it just kind of took off from there. Really,
2: it's uh, yeah. It's always, there's always that story of oh, my friend introduced me to this band. Like mm-hmm. that's how I got into uh, Bare Naked Ladies when my friend got like because mm-hmm. if, if all you know is Bare Naked Ladies radio hit, it's just like yeah, next. But my for me, you know, and then my friend like played me the deeper tracks of Bare Naked Ladies and I was hooked, Mm -hmm. hooked. And then was lucky enough to see them in concert, both with Stephen and without Stephen, even though it was twice. I got to still see them both ways. They were still both great, I thought. Um, But yeah, we've all had, of course, oh, that's a genre, a friend or a relationship of of any kind comes into and uh, gets you into it. Personally, for me, I know country country music gets dumped on a lot uh, by people. Which, very, which
4: surprises me very much because over here in Italy, there's nobody who will diss country music. I know I can understand in the States, it's more of a thing that people will dump on because they're exposed to it so much. Dare I say overexposed to it because it very much is a cultural thing. It's kind of like yeah. the way a lot of people over in Italy feel about opera in the sense that it's become it was such <laughs> a big thing. A lot of people can't stand it and they make fun of it. And so wow. I think it's the same kind of thing. Also, I think over here in 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 Europe, at least, it, it, country music is very exotic sounding because it's not something you have here. Granted, country music is the white man's blues. So it was, of course, it does come out of blues, but also it did originate somewhat from European folk music. So, of course, uh, you know, you think of Irish folk music or you think of Italian folk music. I mean, the mandolin is an Italian instrument. So, and that's and that's obviously a big thing over there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, here uh, it's not really sort of seen and really dumped on. And I get why people dump on country music. I totally do. And I have no problem with people not liking country music. I mean, it's very strange for me to found myself working in a genre, which politically does not reflect the way I feel, but, um, <laughs> but that's, the, those are the breaks, I suppose. And in fact, it's always rather tough when I interview artists and, uh, they openly express their their political views, and I never express my political views because it's not my job to do that. Right. All I, I have to do is talk to them. They are free to express their opinions, but I will never, in any way, express mine because, as I said, it's just not my not my deal. But yeah, it's very strange for you know an Italian Jew Jew to actually <laughs> be a country music radio host. And funny story. I promise, and then I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll try and make this as short as possible.
2: Oh please! Oh yeah. yeah. Um,
4: yeah. I, I actually I was um I ended up winning an award in Nashville, uh, for best uh, international radio personality. And it was so weird being Woo! in Nashville. Nice. Um, oh nice. And what was yeah. so weird was the fact that. I couldn't tell anybody I was Jewish cuz I was terrified they'd be chasing me the pitchforks yeah. if I said I was
2: Jewish. Um in Nashville maybe, yeah, you never know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So
4: I I could use the I could play the <laughs> Italian card because everyone's like, "Oh, hey, Mussolini, that works for us." So um <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, so so long story short, it was it was great. I mean, I will say the the, the 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 south is an incredibly welcoming place. Yeah, uh, I was yeah. They're beautiful people. They really, really are. I mean, I've been to Texas, I've been to Virginia, I've been to uh, uh, Louisiana, and people are so welcoming and so kind. I mean, the one thing I will definitely say is great about the country music community is there is a lot of support. The musicians and artists really support each other. It's not about I'm going to be better than you, or I'm going to, you know, do better than you did, Mm -hmm. which seems to be the, there seems to be more of a rivalry in other genres from what I've noticed. Country music, yeah. not so much.
2: Well, that's great. Um, you know what? You made a good point, though, because it's it's the area that I'm in, and that Mike, the East Coast here, uh, you, you know, the 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 uh, um, uh, the Northeast. Sorry, the Northeast section of the East Coast. Eh, not so much into country, but like if you went elsewhere, you know, country music is big. Country, country music is bigger than anything, you know, anywhere. That's- Uh, me Pittsburgh
3: area like probably of all the stations just hitting I was hitting through the seek button I probably went through nine or ten country stations and it's in the Pittsburgh area Ohio and West Virginia and the thing Mm -hmm. that it's a turnoff to me is every station is the same playlist there's no (laughs) there's no like randomness to it they'll they'll and play
4: what's hottest on billboards i mean but that's what they have they to they
3: will and but like yeah, that's their job mm-hmm. mainstream country music i have no respect for but i do love shooter jennings i love listening to bobby <laughs> bear um hank williams iii um Sturgill simpson that's i have bad respect for those guys but those are the ones you won't hear on country music station.
4: It's because of Wick course, Bryant. yeah. Because they don't fit. Well, one, I think they don't fit the mold. Two, they're not family friendly, and three, they just say things that might make other people feel uncomfortable for the mainstream audience. Yes,
1: yeah. I was so prepared for that. this conversation. And, I was prepared for this conversation. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, please, Nick. I don't want to. I don't want to steamroll over you. I don't want to steamroll but over. To you. me, that's country music. Is like the the
3: rebel, the outlaw country. That's like. Me listening to punk rock, you're saying about the country music, like family, that's the same with punk rock. There's no competition. It's like, it's it's a brotherhood out there. And you hear Green Day, you hear Blink-182 and bands like that on the radio. But, like, this mainstream country music, what we considered is just pretty much bro rock. It's mm-hmm. like, it's kid rock. It's, um... It's it's the Luke Bryan, the Florida Georgia Lions just out there. Somebody writing stuff so they can just make that money and not really do it for themselves. They're doing it for the almighty dollar, which a shooter Jennings or a Bobby Bear. They're doing it because they're doing it for the fan base and they're doing it for the love of the music but and the I history do, of country music.
4: But I do think these artists' are, hearts are in it too. I don't think it's purely cynic- cynical and just, I want to make money. I mean, I... You know, I had the the privilege of sitting down with folks like Luke Bryan and the Florida Georgia Line. They are really wonderful, wonderful people, and I think they really do believe in what they're doing. And I don't think it's purely out of making money. And hey, there's nothing wrong with making money in the sense you have a good business <laughs> yeah. sense. But for you, I mean, look at Taylor Swift, for example, who literally put Pennsylvania on the map when it came to country music. Uh, it makes me think that. She a lot of a lot of the country music people see her as a traitor because she swung the other way and went to pop. I say good business sense, good PR people, good marketing. She's a smart lady.
2: Mm. Yeah, she um, knows how she I,
4: knows how to make money.
2: Yeah, there's yeah. an to this. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm sorry, I don't wanna. I'm I keep. I'm over people. I don't want to. I'm sorry. It's just yeah. I was I was. I was ready for this. I bookmarked yeah. this um, this interview <laughs> with. Uh, I bookmarked this interview with Jason Isbell. I don't know if anybody knows who Jason Isbell. Oh yes. yes, great guy, great Amazing. guy. I had him on the yeah. show. He's a great guy. Yeah, um, you know he was he was with Drive By Truckers for a time before he broke solo. He's a very very well respected singer songwriter. Um, huge, one of the greatest albums I've ever heard. Southeastern. If you haven't heard it, it is from front to back one of the most beautiful pieces of music just ever, ever, ever put out there. If you never had, please pick up Jason Isbell's Southeastern and listen. And he to just it came out that covers pen.
3: album of all like George.
1: Yes. The, George, the, which is the, yes, yes, the George artist. It's, yeah. It's a really, really good album. But he said that I happened across this article and I, and I knew that we would be sort of broaching the subject here on the call <laughs> on, on, on the podcast. Um, and in in this Buzzfeed article about Jason Isbell, apparently he told GQ in 2016, he said this, I don't believe all music is okay. I believe some music is bad for people to listen to. I think it makes their taste worse. I think it makes their lives worse. I think it makes them worse people. So when the writer asked Jason to, you know, expound Mm -hmm. upon this a little bit, he explained that he was referring to, and I quote, anything that panders, anything that serves to reinforce a story that you already believe. Now there's a feeling, at least as far as this writer is concerned, that that encompasses like at least half of what you will hear in like modern country music, the kind of country music, Michael, that I think you really react to very strongly in a, in a, in a yeah. sense. Uh,
4: to your point, you know. though, I think it's not the musician's fault. I would actually blame my colleagues and the radio stations because because the listener, these because uh, um, Greg was referencing the time when, uh, you know, he had his Sonny Walkman and was listening to radio stations and stuff. I think that generation was more hungry to learn and discover new bands. Mm-hmm. And they literally went out on their own to discover new bands. These days, I think your average listener is very much spoon fed by the disc jockeys. And the problem with that is you have a structure within the music business where they will play these songs. And a lot of not all listeners, of course, are very passive. So anything that is sent their way, they will eat up and they will consider great music. And so I think it's the role of the DJ has very much changed. Sadly, where they used to be like your teacher, if you will, or your um, guide into the world of music. And these days they maybe don't have as much say. It's the record labels that are also, you know, pushing you to play certain songs and everything else. And I think What is the big problem is one, a major pacifism or pacifism of the listeners. And secondly, the DJs and folks who are not trying to march to the beat of a different drum.
3: I think another issue, too, is one of my old employees that I had, it's this generation. They don't respect their history. He was all about hip hop. And I respect that. Before I got into alternative rock, REM and stuff like that, I loved Run DMC, Public Enemy. Um, I listened to Eazy-E, NWA. I loved the classics. And he would always come up to me. Actually, I ran a trampoline park in Pittsburgh. So using my (laughs) musical background, I would use music all about jumping, having fun, hip-hop, Disney, you name it. And he would always come up to me. Hey, can you put on some like, Some gangster music, some like hip-hop, stuff like that. I'm like, A, I can't do that. It's a family park, profanity (laughs) stuff. But then I'm like, but I am playing hip-hop. He's like, No, you're not. I want to hear G Easy. I want to hear uh Takashi 69. I'm like, what about ski low? He's like, that's not rap. I'm like, without ski low you wouldn't <laughs> have this music you listen to without africa bombada you wouldn't have this he's like that's not rap music i'm like but you gotta understand my generation the 80s that what late 70s 80s that's what made hip-hop
1: well yeah he wouldn't it's true have
3: any of this stuff and he wouldn't like like it's just trying to be in his head like Yeah, your stuff, it's not bad. To each their own. I respect his passion. His passion for music was amazing. But the fact that he was so blind to even listen to Ludacris, DMX, because it wasn't part of his generation. Mm. Uh, that's what that's where I think the yeah.
4: the education part comes in again because listeners are not being educated. That is yeah. that is what boils down <laughs> to. I mean, you know, you think of you know you you mentioned those great names right there. You know, I could you, I could even think of people like Grandmaster Flash or Curtis Blow. I mean, these yeah. people literally are the founding fathers of that genre. But I think the problem is there's a lack of. The, should we say those in in power, if you will, to educate the listener. It's all about, I need to, I have such and such an artist and I need them to get to number one in the Billboard charts. Screw what came before. This is what matters now. And so therefore yeah. there is a lack of want to go back to your roots. I mean, this the same case could be made for movies. I, you know, you go to a, I mean, I don't expect them to do this, but you know, a twenty-something-year-old is not going to go and watch Casablanca, even though right. it revolutionized um, film, yeah. or they, they're not going to go and watch, I don't know, um, Citizen Kane, which once again revolutionized film. Be it, uh, whether you like right. it or not, it's all about what is happening now in my time. I don't care yeah. what came before, and I think it's at the bay, at the, the the top of all that. It's all a, a lack of those who can don't educate if you think
1: that it's a um, do you think that it's like also a function of like just where we are culturally in terms of our attention spans you know we're very much we're very much like we need this now we need this now Mm -hmm. and that there's there isn't a whole lot of time to you know, just in general to it, reflect on anything that was even like five or 10 minutes ago. It, good point. Yes, it's the
4: post MTV generation where it's yeah. image,
1: image, 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 image.
4: image. I'm going to get bored. And now it's very much like the Spotify generation where no surprise, songs are getting shorter and shorter because the mm-hmm. attention span is getting shorter and shorter as well. And in fact, a lot of musicians I've talked to say, we put our hook or our catch like 30 seconds into the song because we know that folks will turn it off if there's not a hook. And so I think it's it, you, you make a great point. I think it's very much the fact that there's no longer that attention. And I think it is very much that, like I said, that post MTV generation, that's why you'll put somebody in front of a movie that was made in the seventies. Like this is so boring because they're like, it's the pacing to them is totally wrong. It's like, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? You know what I'm saying? It's just that's
0: <laughs> because the
4: Simpsons reference there the reference. for those who caught it, but uh,
0: but yes, uh, I love it. I love it.
4: But that's exactly Depends it. I, uh, Otherwise right? I'd be lost. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, a friend of mine recently uh, who is a big um, a De Niro fan, he asked mm. me, I, I've heard of this film, The Deer Hunter. Should I watch it? I'm like, if you're a De Niro fan, Definitely watch it. He came back to me and said, it was so fucking boring. It took forever for to anything to happen. And it's because we are just used to everything being very, you know, great point. It's all about everything and now. That's what it is. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah. not, I'm going to wait for the payoff. I mean, you even see this. I mean, I don't want to go into much of a tangent here, but I, I love uh, superhero movies and superhero TV shows some mcu tv shows have not been understood by people because like when are they going to beat the crap out of each other and they're not prepared to have two people actually make a great discussion and a debate about what's right and what's wrong because they want to see the blood guts and gore so yes i think it is very much that it's just that i want everything i want it now and i want it to be as bombastic yeah.
2: as it can be well you do notice pop culture in and of itself music movies everything has changed uh mm-hmm. over the years everything changes But, yeah, a lot of great points uh, made there, uh, especially about music landscape. And it's not like, you know, I I think that you look at, you made a comparison there to, oh, the hunter's point, you look at something like Star Wars, and to give credit where credit is due, it is so understandable why it became the legendary movie it did. You want to break it down. You want to break Star Wars down. It is one of the silliest movies ever made. You see what it did cinematically. No question that it's a masterpiece. And the same goes for music. The same goes for all art forms. So all great points. And so, um, and, you know, as we know, we're going all over the place. That's quite all right. We're, don't worry. We'll take care of it. Don't worry about tangents, anything. So um, uh, Richard, then just uh, give us a little bit of your uh, music background. I know you were an actor, too. So your interest in arts went everywhere. But uh, yeah, what can you tell us about your uh, discovery and love of music?
1: Well, when I was five years old, my aunt gave me two, my first two rock records. One of them was a Beatles collection. It wasn't like a, like a classic Beatles collection. I think it was called like a collection of Beatles oldies. And so that must've been like 1973. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it had like the, 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 it had you know we can work it out, it had She Loves You. I think it went as far as revolver in terms of um, you know, what was contained on there because like revolver's that Eleanor was, 19... Rig- Eleanor Rigby's that was 19... revolver, right?
0: Yeah, that was the... yeah, that was nineteen sixty-six revolver.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean the album obviously I got it in nineteen, you know, in nineteen seventy-three. I think it was like obviously the Beatles said was no you know, they were no longer concerned. It was almost like a K-tel kind of like collection of stuff. Um okay. I still have it, but it does have it does have John Lennon singing "Bad Boy," which I really loved when I was like five years old, and it had um, way,
0: way early Beatles. That's that's I know, I
1: know, right? It just comes out of the blue. It's such a weird, like random assemblage of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And the song that I think think I projections.
0: I'm actually quite a big Beatles fan myself, so I have a lot of stuff to say. No, anyway, go go ahead. No, that's that's great.
1: That's great. But the (laughs) the song I think I The song I think I responded the most to was "Paperback Writer." Just because I loved like the harmonies, and I loved the way they sort of overlapped on each other, and I loved how you didn't know where they were going every single time. Um, And the other record was John Denver's Greatest Hits. Um, Wow! Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about uh, country?
2: Country, yeah,
1: yeah. Which I really responded to, just from like a melodic sense. You know, say what you will about John Denver, but the guy knew his way around a hook. You know, his way around a very, very gentle melody, which I really liked. And there seemed to be, um, you know, a little bit of overlap to me even then, in like, you know, the way Paul McCartney did like yesterday and the way John Denver did poems, prayers, and promises, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think really um, my parents unwittingly got there first and they didn't plan it this way. There were, you know, my mom was really into classical music. I later found that she had all four first Bob Dylan albums. Bob Dylan's first four albums on vinyl, like oh. hidden down in the basement. She has a secret life, you know, like she always <laughs> told me that she hated. She always ha- told me that she hated Judy Garland, that she, you know, listening to Judy Garland made her like really uncomfortable because she was always such a an emotional live wire. But there's Judy Garland <laughs> live <inaudible> at Carnegie Hall oh, God, down there, you know. Yeah, like there she is, like hiding it in the basement. Um, But um, there were two classical pieces that I absolutely loved as a kid. And they probably set more than anything kind of like the path through which that I kind of ended up following. And they were um, The Planets by Gustav Holst and Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto, number two in C minor. Now, both of these pieces are very kind of, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's unfair to call Rachmaninoff bombastic, but I mean, he is very sort of romantic. You know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's not afraid to be mawkish. He's, um, you know, he's really like, he'll, he'll give you sentimentalism right between the eyes. And The Planets obviously has like these great, you know, beautiful moments of lyricism, but it also has, you know, mars the bringer of war which is you know pretty bombastic in it you know in itself and the way it announces itself and stuff like that um and so it probably wasn't very surprising that not shortly after really ingesting that music i got into kiss
2: wow um, <laughs> wow
1: yeah um and it was this neighbor kid who had um destroyer and I guess it was right around the time that *Destroyer* had actually come out. So, what was that like? Nineteen seventy. That was that was nineteen seventy
0: six, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, nineteen seventy six. So, yes, yeah, so I was like eight years old, which I guess is the right time to like fall in love with *Kiss*, right? Um, and, <laughs> um, and, you know, at that time, you know, I mean, the albums that I really listened to, you know, the Beatles records, John Denver, you know, these classical albums, but I heard detroit rock city and detroit (laughs) rock city to my eight-year-old ears was like positively wagnerian and like how huge it was you know i mean i it's funny like i eventually saw kiss way 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 after the fact i saw them on tour with Aerosmith in like the early 2000s and um, oh i remember that tour i never saw yeah yeah it was quite a you know, quite a notorious tour in terms of like how much they didn't quite like each other at the time. But um, <laughs> there were, but, but I remember like th- there was like three quarters of them, like, you know, only Ace wasn't with the band at that point. You know, the, Tommy <laughs> Thayer was well ensconced in that, in that spot. And, and I remember like really being kind of psyched, right? Like, you know, I'm going to see Kiss finally after like years and years and years. And they were great. You know, they were really tight. Their harmonies were on point you know, Paul Stanley's like really ridiculous, like shtick is still really ridiculous shtick, but it was really fun. And I asked myself, why am I not having a better time? Oh, we wow. should be having a better time because I'm finally seeing Kiss. And it was a sad thing. I realized I'm not eight years old anymore. I'm like, 30 something and you know there's so much has passed in between like stuff that I've been into like even though Kiss was really very much at like the start of all of this you know towards the end it's like and also wasn't fair for Kiss to open for Aerosmith because as much as I love Kiss like you know as much as I love like their shtick and what they do um you know it's pretty basic stuff Kiss music you know it's nothing the, i the mean there you know, and then, and the
2: showmanship uh, is great uh, uh, yeah <laughs> I, have I to. Mean, like, i have to
4: interject here because i have to ask you something here richard because i if not it will uh, escape my mind you talked about bombast and your love for should we say bombast in music what are your thoughts on what paul o'neill did for sabotage and what andrew lloyd webber did for musicals <laughs>
1: It's funny, um, the only reason I know anything about Sabotage um, is because my friend Justin um, actually gave me one of their albums and I cannot recall it off the top of my head. There is something very musical theater about Sabotage though, isn't there? Um, yeah. And at least this particular album. And um, and, and as, uh, I can't really speak too much about Sabotage other than like my very, very limited experience with that one album. But um, obviously with Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, the one thing I've returned to with Andrew Lloyd Webber time and time again is I do not think, I mean, I think, you know, it. there was a long, long period in in which you could, you know, where you were going to find a musical theater score that rocked as hard as Jesus Christ Superstar. When they did Jesus Christ Superstar on television really recently, um, I was still struck by how pretty hard core that shit is you know that is one really awesome guitar riff that opens heaven on their minds it's no surprise that like you know um what's his name jeff tate who i think jeff always tate. wanted to be in a musical anyway you know yes. yeah yeah, like is
4: very music musical ish yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah
1: sure i remember hearing sebastian was it sebastian bach was it sebastian bach i think it was i remember he uh, was on right broadway yeah there. Yeah, I remember Sebastian Bach was like talking. I think, forgive me if I'm totally wrong about this, but um, uh, Sebastian Bach like being cornered by Jeff Tate when he was on Broadway and Jekyll and Hyde going, "How did you get this gig?" You know, and because you know it was something that he really so badly wanted to do, and you can see that obviously. And like, I think Queens either Queens record Jeff Tate himself did a, a like a covers album where I think Heaven on Their Minds was like a major centerpiece of that. It is, I think. You know, especially since like Ian Gillian was the first guy to sing Jesus, um, you know, that concept album. Um, you know, it, it has very much like really, really, I think, legitimate rock and roll roots, Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yes. However, other however other people have may have taken it and orchestrated it out of, you know, out of recognition. Although there's um, there's an Australian well, think- cast album. There's an Australian yeah. cast album, I just want to get this out, but there's an Australian cast album from like 1992, very much of its time, but it is amazing to hear how they've reorchestrated the music to fit the early 90s. It is really something to hear. The liberties they take with a lot of that stuff and how much of it is really exciting because you get to hear the score almost for the first time. You know, it's the same stuff, but everything is orchestrated differently. Like there are songs that sound like in excess. There are songs that, you know, um, you know, that sound like grunge. Um, If you if you find the 1992 Australian cast album, by all means, you know, you know, have at it. It's a really enjoyable listen and the singers cannot be beat. Angry Anderson plays um, uh, Herod on that. and He's absolutely out of his mind. But But, you think of
4: Um, No, you think of uh, Phantom of the Opera. It's very much
1: a rock musical. Yes. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, it's funny. When I, when I went to see, um, when I eventually saw Evita um, on stage, it was really surprising to me by how much that kind of rock, too. I think mm-hmm. Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, has always had these kinds of, you know, elements in his stuff. You know, mm-hmm. some of it's gotten very corny. You know, like Trust you can make technical. dream coat, they use a lot of like pop and rock stuff. That's you know, kind of like you know. Uh, you it's know. cheesy, but it's, I it's, love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love There's it too. But thing about Phantom of the
0: Opera, you said it's like very much a rock opera, and it's like, yeah, it does have rock elements to it. I feel like most of it is not rock, though. I feel like it has, you know, like that that main theme that 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 like obviously then you know, the electric guitars and all that stuff. But I do feel like most of it is very operatic. You oh know, no, sure. Is, it, but I yeah, mean, how yeah, can you yeah, think of how It's very
4: prestige. Yeah, but you think how yeah. many rock and metal bands covered that song?
0: Oh yeah, well, just that one song, of course. Sure, I've always. Yeah. I have to say, I I've been in like what thirty bands in my life. Some of them much shorter lived than others, and I have tried to get every single one of them to cover the Phantom of the Opera opening. Theme, and no one has agreed to do no it. And it is frustrating thing. I'm like, dude, come on, man. Let, let this guy have his dream. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. And then, Richard, <laughs> no, I have I'm...
4: to ask you, what do you think of Han Zimmer? Then, speaking of composers who are oh, oh man.
1: I love Han Zimmer. Um, you know, oh my god, yeah. I had to bring you know, Han Zimmer. <laughs> yeah, no, I do love I do love that guy's work a lot. I do, and I think. Um, I mean, obviously I have to pull up, you know, I listen to so much music and I've gotten to such an age where I do not have like immediate command of everything. Um, But I just need to look at what it is I have here as far as Hans Zimmer is concerned. Obviously, you know, he's done the Lion King stuff. um, Mm -hmm. And and that's really lovely. I have a kid, obviously, we were very much a Lion King household for at least six months. (laughs) Um, but I mean, the score for Hidden Figures is like one that I return to time and time again, and that's the Da Vinci really Code theme. Assing. Which one? Oh, the Da Vinci oh, of Code theme. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm a sucker for that shit. And I, you know, but just he's just also just done. Bad. Yeah, he's done wonderful stuff for Interstellar 2. and obviously, Inception is a great score too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he's also. He's gladiator too, isn't he? Hansel. Of course he I is. Think, yeah. yeah. And the Dark Knight trilogy. And the Wonder Woman theme.
4: And yeah. Uh, yeah. the guy's in the pirate, so backdraft. Yes. And he also did uh, Rising Tide and the Thin Red mm-hmm. Line. I mean, you know, yeah. you name it, he's done it.
1: Yeah. 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 But I mean, going back to, going back to, to Kiss. Um, Kiss kind of ruined any chances I might have had to be a concert pianist. I had this idea that, you know, because I just started taking piano lessons um, and I was really responding to it. But then, you know, KISS kind of ruined all of that. And it was weird how, like, you know, how, you know, the, the you know, the, the gateway drug was, right? Because KISS obviously in a weird way led to Aerosmith. Aerosmith led to a lot of blues bands and a lot of blues led to Aretha Franklin. And Aretha Franklin um, led to a ton of soul artists, and um, you know, I think I also started getting Rolling Stone magazine when I was very young. And wow. um, so I think the idea, you know, reading like rock criticism at that point was had sort of leveled off in terms of, you know, I mean, you had like these really impressionistic writers like, you know, Grail Marcus and your know, Robert Chrisgow and and all of these guys. Um and you, it was sort of on the cusp of where rock criticism was more like advertising for the album rather than like a legit deep dive into this stuff, right? So because it was around that time that like Thriller was about to come out, you know, oh, and, and sure. sort of change yeah. things. Um, but, you know, I read Rolling Stone religiously every two weeks because I was interested in whatever new stuff was on the horizon that I wasn't hearing on the radio. You're talking about how, Nick... um. You know, th- you know the audience is sort of spoon fed um, stuff and they've gotten very sort of passive in the way that they consume music and it's a real shame because mm. you know you would think I-, I do think that like a lot of these streaming um, platforms do at least make a nod towards if you like this you may like yeah. this too you just have to mm-hmm. sort of scroll down and yes. see what it is that they're suggesting it, um, it, Yeah, yeah. Uh, because because um, you know I've, you, and again you know I'm I'm very much on the on the it was funny I was I was very I was all prepared to make this point very very strongly and then I <laughs> had an experience like literally two nights ago that totally contradicted the point I was going to make so I'm going to try and make <laughs> both these points at the same time, um, you know the the one thing that um, Jason Isbell said about you know nostalgia and about how it's very easy to get mired in nostalgia. And if you do, you know, there's very little chance to actually grow, right? You know, the one thing I've, I've very much committed my myself to just as a person who doesn't want to stay stuck um, in in any particular thing is I really do want to like be exposed to music I'm not hearing. Um, you know it's not in my immediate circle and so you know I don't get Rolling Stone anymore and Rolling Stone isn't necessarily all that much of a help because Rolling Stone is kind of in bed with a lot of you know a lot of advertising and stuff like that so um, you know a lot of the times I'm just like looking at websites I'm looking at Pace Magazine they have like a Friday um, feature where it's like 10 albums to stream that came out this week Um, there's allmusic.com that has like you know a new releases thing every Friday you know, I know they're kind of a cliche, but pitchfork every so often, you know, manages to turn you on to like really interesting stuff. And I I feel like, you know, just for like my brain and to not, you know, just, it's very easy, I think, to stay in stuff that's comfortable and stay in stuff that even reminds you of stuff that's comfortable. And I would rather not do that. Um, So I, I really do make an effort to try and you know, find stuff that I would not normally like, because obviously, you know, with that background, you know, I've, you know with the, the bombastic classical music and Kiss and Aerosmith, a huge, huge Aerosmith fan and all of that, and you know, the old, the old soul, soul stuff, you know, Aretha Franklin. In, interestingly enough, when I discovered Prince, Prince was a gateway to so many things. Prince was actually a weird gateway to Joni Mitchell's jazz period because he in an interview talked about how his favorite album uh his favorite Joni Mitchell album was The Hissing of Summer Lawns which was an album I never heard of before so I'm like I if Prince likes it I gotta go find The Hissing of Summer Lawns and you know discovering The hiss- Hissing of Summer Lawns turned me on to Jock Astorias it turned me on to uh, uh what's the, what's the guitarist's name? See again, like you know, I'm old and these names go out. Maybe some jazz guitarists were really Pap- Pat Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny, yes. Pat Metheny, um, okay. You know, because you. <laughs> because all of these guys, you know, played. You know, they were her touring band for the longest time in the '70s. So you know, and I never would have discovered that if it wasn't for Prince. Um, mm. And you know, uh, and interestingly, you know, one of the things that I loved about Prince was every now and then. You know, you want to talk about predictability every so often, especially like in his prime, like from, you know, like the early 80s, like maybe to like the early 90s. It's still like a really good 10 to 15 year period of, of, of really sure. fertile stuff. But there's a song on the Parade album called Sometimes It Snows in April. And um, I had learned to play it by ear, but there's a chord in the chorus that totally threw me For years, for like, I could never figure it out. Um, It's just this random thing on the way to like a more predictable, you know, place in the chorus that you know Prince just threw in there to fuck with your expectations, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, he must have like stumbled on this thing and go, yeah, I'm throwing this shit in because nobody's going to, you know, this is coming completely from left field. Um, it's a beautiful song. Sometimes it snows in April, and you can totally tell like where his Johnny Mitchell stuff comes from. And it was maybe two two and a half years later. I cheated and I stumbled upon the sheet music for Parade and the old Colony Music in Times Square when Colony Music was still there. You know where every actor would go and get their sheet music, um, uh-huh. and and uh, and I found out it's a B flat two. And the B flat too, I was like, holy fucking shit. Right, B flat (laughs) second, right? Like, you know, like he just took the B flat and like lowered the D to the C. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that, right? Um, (laughs) And But it's that kind of, I mean, I don't want to call it novelty really, because I mean, to be fair, like, you know obviously Prince threw that in, you know, to fuck with you but it makes perfect musical sense in the phrase and what it is he's trying to get across in that particular moment and you know really knowing that you know and really like sussing out like this is why he did it and I don't think you you're driven to figure these things out or you're not you know like you Greg were talking about how you know you got obsessed with like everything about an artist and why they wrote the songs that they did and what was the history behind this and, you know, and what else did this songwriter do and who else have they written for? You know, that enthusiasm either kicks in, the switch gets flipped or it just doesn't. And you know know what Um, I always say? Yeah. Sorry
2: to interrupt, but you know what I always say? Okay. So there's a song by Vertical Horizon called I'm Still Here mm -hmm. and they interview, and this has happened several times where they interview the songwriter. And uh, the, the, one of the more beautiful stories is um, that uh, Depeche Mode's uh, head writer he isn't the lead singer, but he's the head writer of the. Martin Gore. Martin Gore. And so there's this beautiful song from Vertical Horizon, I'm Still Here. And it means one thing to me. And the songwriter said, I actually wrote that song when I had the flu and I couldn't sleep and I had the flu. So I went ahead and I wrote that song. And you know what? That doesn't matter. Because when I say there's no wrong interpretation of art, whatever the song means to you is what it means to you. I don't care what the songwriter intended. I don't care what the screenwriter intended. Whatever it's making happen. And you're not wrong for feeling those feelings or thinking your thoughts. And anybody that tells you you are, is a pretentious bastard because it's art. Well, mm-hmm. there shouldn't be rhyme or reason for what it does to you. So I remember being on a thread or something about this particular Vertical Horizons. I'm still here. And someone goes, He had the flu in the middle of the night. So he wrote this song. Well, that just changes everything to me. And I said, Why does it have to? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, Why does it have to? If, if you're getting that feeling from the song, that's what it's doing to you. You're not wrong. That's the beauty of music. It's the, it's the beauty of art, but it's the thing about um, uh, uh, music and you can interpret it in any way you want and it doesn't make you wrong if that's not what the writer intended it to be. It's, like Under, by
4: it's like Under the Blade by Twisted Sister, which is actually about a yeah. dentistry appointment and other people <laughs> see it a completely different
2: way. Well, uh, yeah, and then there was um, in, in the story with the uh, uh, um, Precious by Depeche Mode it's the only song that he, because Martin Gore I, I believe who wrote Precious which is about him speaking to his child after he, his, he and his wife got a divorce so this is him speaking to his child and he said I revealed that it's the only song that he chose to reveal but, but otherwise his attitude was I, I wrote the song here's the song, whatever you think of the song, but, but precious meant something else to him that he goes, Oh no, I want to share with you that it's a song that he chose to say, Oh no, this is about, this is me singing to my, my child after, um, mom and dad get divorced. And then I was a child of divorce. So I was like, Oh my God. And it's mm-hmm. just like, and there was someone, I, I don't remember how it came up, but, um, Someone that said, oh, their sister or somebody was a big Depeche Mode fan. I go, you know, the song Precious? Oh, because it was always he, he purposely made his songs hard to interpret or whatever you want to call it. And I said, except for the song Precious, he revealed that it was about him singing to his children or child after he got divorced. And when they heard the song, it completely they, they were like mind blown, bawling after they said like why it was like when they heard what it was about. And, and that's just. All
1: stories like that are so beautiful to me.
2: Um, it does, I, like, it does throw you topic. a little
1: bit, though, when you find out like there's a different interpretation on the part of the songwriter, a different intention than what it is you get. Like I made the mistake mm-hmm. of reading Slash's autobiography. And, <laughs> I, and Slash. I found out <laughs> and I found out that um, they were having, apparently, to hear Slash tell it, they were having like a tremendous amount of trouble about knowing like they had most of Sweet Child of Mine down, but they were having a hard time figuring out how to end it. So they're all sitting in the studio and Axel is muttering under his breath. Where do we go? Where do we We go go now? now, And Mike Klink said, that's it. That's what we're going to do. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Because when I heard Sweet Child of Mine, and you can't choose these things, right? You can't choose these moments when they happen to you. Sweet Child of Mine was like the most important song to me in like 1988 because I had taken a theater gig to be close to the girl I was dating at the time and the ink hadn't even dried on the paper before she broke up with me and so I'm doing West Side Story and Grease in dinner theater in upstate New York in rotating rep when I could have been like you know often like you know some really picturesque place in New Hampshire all because Mm -hmm. I stayed for this relationship that totally went sour on me and I happened to be driving home from the supermarket back to my like echoey lonely lonely apartment that I took because it was across the street from the rehearsal studio and I heard sweet child of mine for the first time and it just totally blew my fucking mind you know and the idea right like Here's this guy talking about this absolutely perfect person. And then the music where you think it's going to go to that, like typical Bon Jovi, Barry Manilow key change. Mm -hmm. Instead, it takes that like shift into like really like mournful minor and then it gets really pissed off and then it comes back down and he's singing where do we go where do we go now and obviously the storm clouds have started to like come in it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's like dustin hoffman and katherine ross in the back of the bus and a graduate right it's like this incredibly intense thing and here i thought all of that was born out of like this incredibly like emotional intensity but no it's Axel fucking mumbling about what the fuck do we do next, and it totally pissed me the fuck off for a it week. Might have been, it,
2: yeah, it might have been you that told me that story. I've heard that story before. I do believe that it was you because we were having I, this sort I of conversation. I think you to told
0: you that story, actually.
3: You may
2: have, you may have, and yeah. you know, for me again, yes, I do realize. Like, like, well, that's like, uh, uh in fact, like when I thought, um when I thought Billy Myers was a male and I heard kiss the rain and I thought Billy Myers was a man. I thought Billy, My- I didn't realize this was a- just like, I thought for years, Neil Sedaka was a woman, but anyway, I didn't know who Neil Sedaka was and I thought oh, yeah. laughter in the rain is uh, and uh, breaking up and Hard to do is by a-, a-, a woman. But yeah, I didn't know Billy Myers was a, uh, a, a woman. And I thought that this was a man singing about his heartbreak. When I went to buy the album and or the single of kiss the rain back, what did the late nineties was that or mid nineties, nineties? I didn't want it anymore. <laughs> I'm like this is the heartbreak of a woman, not the heartbreak of a man. But in the end, your, you, you, your point was great. Yes. It's like a, Oh, bummer. That's all you meant by. But again, sometimes you don't even know if the musician and or songwriter is just saying lip service. You never know. Like it could mean something completely. Which is why Martin Gorey goes, no, I like to be, um, um, I'm losing words here because of how great and this conversation is. And I'm blown away that this is even an MSV podcast episode. And I believe John could say the same thing. We can't believe this is an episode of the show, this intelligent, deep conversation here we're having. So things are escaping me. But, um, yeah, leave it cryptic. You know, always leave it cryptic because it's completely your interpretation. Um I, I, and and yeah, I do get how it like, oh, that's it. Like, like it was just Axel mumbling like
1: where did it go? But again, did, now Richard, did you ever get quote over that? And it began oh, to yeah. mean something? To, yeah, I figured. Yeah, you know, I Ooh. mean, there was a part of me that like justified it, that Slash and Axel were on the outs when he wrote that autobiography. He could just be like mm-hmm. talking shit and all that, you know, just, um, you know, I, it, it it meant something to me mm-hmm. anyway. And you can't really tell me that, you know, even if it was, you know, a fluke, you know, it's a perfectly executed fluke. There is so, you know, everything about that song interlocks in a way Mm -hmm. that's absolute genius that I don't know, like maybe they've gotten to that point, you know, maybe they got to that point a handful of times since then um but that's just like a, you know that's a total total watershed moment so if slash yeah. wants to piss on if slash wants to piss on my expectations about like how mike, deep axel yeah, was um, he can have it but I'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm in denial about the whole thing i am Please stay in denial and mike we're gonna, we're gonna get to you right now mike uh that reminded me of
2: rob thomas was on something of a storyteller's type show And he wrote this amazing song, Little Wonders for the movie, Meet the Robinsons, which is this very underrated movie and a very underrated little off the radar Rob Thomas song. And it's this great song really about fate and the twists and turns of life. And when he told, I mean, for me anyway, it wasn't for a lot of people. And then when he was on this storyteller, I don't think it was storytellers itself, but this type show, he goes, I had to write a, a song for the movie, Meet the Robinsons, I watched the movie. Um, or whatever it is and he goes I I observed my dog and I said he just when my dog like tilts his head and he just seems like just so curious about things he started to just like talk about his own he goes what if I saw the world through my dog Mm. and that's how Little Wonders was written it's just about about writing it through this perspective of his dog Um, I know we're going way over on time and I know not everything here is going to make the show but Mike Mike, our original guest, who are now joined <laughs> by all these fascinating... Uh, by Nick and Richard, and then, of course, me and John. But, uh, Mike, uh, let's just hear a little bit about your journey with music. Jeez. I kind of <laughs> got...
3: It was late in the game for me, like, with my passion with music. Like, you... Ooh, I lost one of my earbuds. Um, my thing was... I listened to the radio when I was a kid and whatever was on the radio, I'd make a mixtape and it didn't matter if it was listening to El the barge or if it Mm -hmm. was listening to poison or Mars pump up the volume, whatever's on the radio, that was my passion. But somehow something clicked in my mind, big band music, big band music kind of got me into Everything I start getting passionate about it. I get into high school, I start playing instruments, um, baritone. I was a trombone player, I get into jazz music. Big band leads me into like the whole jazz thing, and I'm still kind of on the fence with music. Um, bands that I'm obsessed with now REM, Beach Boys, Ooh. um, nice. the Beatles. I couldn't stand them.
2: I wow. heard stand. Yeah, yeah. REM back in the
3: eighties. I hear stand. I thought it was horrible. It's like, is this <laughs> like the Beatles yesterday? I still I'm not a fan of that song, but just hearing wow. the Beatles, the Beach Boys, just like what's yeah. with these like these guys just singing harmony. I couldn't do it. <laughs> but it wasn't until ninety-one um, Automatic for the People came out and I oh, hear yeah, the yeah. most depressing song in the world. Everybody Hurts. Uh, okay. I fell in love. That yeah. song just like it did something to me. So go to the Columbia House and I'm like, what's REM Eponymous? I don't know. It sounds cool. <laughs> My buddy orders it for me. I listen to it, fall in love. Don't go back to Rockville. Finest Work song. Um, hearing the hip tone version of, uh, radio for Europe, how raw they were back in the eighties. And it's just my passion for like alternative music start coming out. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden 93 comes along and this is kind of my geeked out, like my claim to fame moment. My mm-hmm. dad tells me my cousin's getting married and, um, the wedding's coming up and everything and I told him, hey, I can't make it. I've got a band trip, so you guys have fun. He's there and he's like, did you ever hear this band called Dinosaur Jr.? I'm like, what the (laughs) heck's a Dinosaur Jr.? He's like, I don't know. Your cousin married this guy, Mike, and his brother is Jay Maskus." I was like, okay. That means nothing to me. And then we get tickets, my aunt calls, and it's like, hey, do you want to go see Dinosaur Jr.? I'm like, eh, okay. Like, yeah. where are we going? This festival called Lollapalooza? I'm like, okay, who's playing? <laughs> Dinosaur Jr., Primus, um, Arrested Development. Oh, I know them. <laughs> yeah, I'm to <just> see Arrested <laughs> Development. Alice in Chains? I was like, oh, that band? Uh, I guess so. Um, Rage Against the Machine, Tool was there, Fishbone. So we nice. show up
2: nice fishbone
3: amazing allison chains hated them with a passion Uh, (laughs) dinosaur jr comes on still kind of like all i see is a bunch of people with purple shirts with cows on it i'm like what the fuck (laughs) dinosaur jr cows what's i don't understand
0: what's going on here but listening to them before you you go on i just want to throw in real quick because it doesn't seem like it's going to fit anywhere else but <laughs> gotcha. one, very, one very quick tidbit I actually met Jay Maskis the uh, singer guitar player for Dinosaur Junior standing in line for a taco truck in Asbury Park on, <laughs> that's on the awesome so, so yeah like that was, that was pretty interesting so anyway it, it, go, go ahead did you I'm actually excited. get to
3: talk to him
0: yeah, I talked to, well, I was with a group of friends and I recognized him and uh, my one friend, I think it was Mike. That's just like you. So, Mike actually said, yes. Oh, like, a very common that's name, true. what a coincidence. Yes, <laughs> that's the guy <laughs> from Dynasty Jr. So, mm-hmm. like, he went and said, Hey, like, I'm a big fan and he went to shake his hand and Jay Maskus was just sort of like, okay, like, just kind of shook his <laughs> hand to be like, Kind of like making this really weird face, kind of like, why are you talking to me? I don't want, I'm just trying to, I'm looking, I'm standing in line for tacos right now. And so all of us, I don't know if I actually talked to him directly. So maybe I didn't technically meet him, but I was standing right next to him while my friend met him in a very awkward manner. So that's my uh, Dinosaur Jr. story.
3: So last time I got to see them was 2017 in Pittsburgh with uh, this musician, Steve Gunn. Amazing musician. Um, If you ever get a chance, check him out. But we go. It's me, a bunch of my friends, my cousin Noreen, and her husband, Mike. They're They're related. We go backstage just to talk. And I'm talking to my cousin. I haven't seen her in years. And my ex is saying aren't you going to talk to the, like the famous guitar player, like your idol right there. I was like, do you see him and his brother just kind of staring at each other in complete silence? If they're not talking, I'm not really going to get a conversation out of him. So I'm going to pass. But the cool thing about that Murph, who's her drummer, he's toured with, uh, uh, Lemonheads on, one of their many incarnations of bands that Evan Dondo has had over the years. He comes out, he's in there, he's pulling his pants up. It's like, hey guys, I'm just getting dressed, but I'll be out in a second and I'll start talking to you. Just let me get get my clothes on and everything. He comes out, Jay still's just sitting on the couch, just staring at us, like, what are you doing here? Like we Yeah, you're family, but I really don't want to talk. Murph, it was really cool, but it's one of those things like a band that married into my family, I had no idea about them. Mm-hmm. They got me into so much music and yeah. it just being, listened to them and then hearing the similarities between them and like Husker Du, The Replacements, old school Lemonheads from the 80s, their first three albums. And, and it's just one of those things by chance that it's, it's a family member that, that got me into this, but the main thing that got me into the music that I am now, other than my alternative rock and I brought up the punk rock, is people like, how did you get into punk rock? And I tell them straight up jazz music. And mm-hmm. they look at me like, "Oh, we're getting like, my, my That and that's what it is. So I'm a trombone <laughs> <film> player. I, <laughs> I listen to jazz music. I love Stan Kenton. I love Lester Young. I love those hardcore big band. You hear in like Miles Davis, just screaming trumpets, Arturo Sandoval, um, those like that. And then 97 comes along. And on, Every alternative radio station, what do you hear? The Boss Tones, Real Big Fish, Than Jakes, Goldfinger. It's this heavier music, but wait, what's this sublime? Wait, there's a trombone in that? So I hear a trombone, and I hear this. I'm like, okay, I play jazz. Ska music's amazing. So I get into that, and then I hear Green Day, and then – on what's on their record label, this little band called Operation Ivy, who pretty mm-hmm. much started the third wave of ska music. So you got a band that does the, the ska upbeats, but minus the horns. Op Ivy breaks up, they turn into Rancid, and they still mm. got that ska thing going, but they're more punk. That leads me into the Clash, Stiff Little Fingers, bands like Cox Bear, um, the old school, like the metalheads who are passionate about um, Dio, Iron Maiden. My like Mount Rushmore is like Stiff Little Fingers, Cockspur, Anti Nowhere League, The Clash, bands like that. But it all started of me as a seventh grader in middle school, walking around with a Glenn Miller Orchestra shirt on. Wearing that with pride like once a week because my mom drove me to a big band concert that I made her go to because I got into wanting to be a trombone player and that led me to getting into bands with the trombone and everything. And even my Irish roots and my Hungarian roots, listening to bands like R.E.M., Mike Mills pulling out that accordion Peter Buck playing that mandolin, but then also going to my grandma's house Sunday morning, what she have on polka music. What do you hear? You hear the mandolin, you hear the accordion and it all leads. Toad to what sprocket counting crows. They all had that folksy like college rock thing to them that bands now, even the December mist hate saying that band's name um, um what they're doing now and uh jason Isabel, there it's it all kind of like from folk music irish music polka music and jazz music got me turned me into the man that i am today and i i'm so grateful for it but i'm all about my classics but there's just so much good music that's still coming out yeah and they yeah. are they are um they're doing that um they, like there's a lot of retro out there um they're they're not forgetting their roots but they're putting that 2000s like spin on it that's making it so good and gives me so much hope for music
2: that's that was beautiful michael and and then also uh, I always say there's just so much art and so little time that goes for all arts. It's music. It's yeah. Oh films, yeah. TV shows. Yeah. So much art, so little time. We're going to get to you in, in a moment, John, I'm very excited about none of us know what this show will be until it comes together, but I, I, I was really excited that, that, that this has just been an, an amazing conversation, an amazing night, but it was for me just to, before we get to John, yes, it, you mentioned the music apps, Richard and Michael. You said stuff is that there's so much music and so little time, you know, that, that it's overwhelming and that things are looking great for music. Um, I, I, I think music we can always rely um, will be the art that, because like, let's look at Hollywood and movies for a second. Way too much, in my opinion, is the remakes, reboots, and unnecessary sequels. It's all about the mm, remake. Yes. Even right, there are reboots. Out, there's more reboots now than I even knew existed. Like I only was uh, this week found out about the dramatic version of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And music is. I like, never heard I, of that. But
4: but uh, great. Bel- there yeah. are some. There sure. are some great movies out there. As we are entering awards season, there are some great sure. great movies out there. Oh
2: sure. Oh, I'm not saying oh, no. no sure. Sean, who we talked about before, um, always says to me, you know, like, well, you talk about remakes of you, what about covers, songs? Just for me, in my opinion, it's not the same thing. Like, covers, it's not like, you know, um, a brand new band is going to come out and do the right album. You know, so so for me, like, the reboots, the remake. sure, West Side Story could be a great retelling of it, as could the fifth version of a a star is born. Um, mm-hmm. at this point, I'm not going to be surprised if we get a remake of Ernest Goes to Camp. Um, but it just it seems the dramatic like
0: the, the, retelling a dramatic retelling, retelling
1: of Ernest Goes to
2: Camp. Dramatic of Ernest Goes to Camp.
4: But, but I, I actually have to now, since you mentioned West Side Story and Richard mentioned West Side Story, uh, Greg, I have to ask Richard this. Richard, uh, when it comes to West Side Story, Wisen Robbins or Steven Spielberg?
1: Well, I haven't seen the movie yet because, you okay. know, uh, we, it, but it is awards season. I'm a member of SAG After. We're going to be getting our screeners pretty soon. Um, I always loved that movie. The interesting thing about going to see that movie with a crowd, I mean, uh, I haven't seen it in at least like five or ten years. But so
4: you, you've seen the Wise and Robbins version, obviously. Yes,
1: yes. The interesting thing about going to see that with a crowd is that everybody starts out making fun of it. You know, the snapping, the suddenly breaking out into ballet mm-hmm. dancing down the street, these really tough guys. Everybody thinks it's hilarious. You know, nobody's taking it all that seriously. But you get to, I mean, if you hang in there long enough at that incredible rooftop uh, scene uh, with Rita Moreno and George and you know, that you know, the American number mm-hmm. at the end of that song, anybody who is still in the audience is hooked into that musical until the end. And by the end, everyone is completely devastated, even though you see it coming, right? It's well, Romeo and Juliet, even if you don't know it is, what it, yeah. you know, even if you don't see what it is, you know, obviously it's not that much of a surprise, but it never ever fails. I mean, at least with the Wise and Robin's version. That you know, America is the one that like locks people in. It's also, Agreed. you know, even to this day, it's still a pretty hardcore number. I, I reckon know, we'll have to get, get you. Words.
4: I reckon we'll have to get you on our Oscars podcast, Richard, seeing as you are also a member of sagafra also for your love of movies and stuff. So uh, we definitely, will have, I will definitely have to reach out once this is done to get you on Gold Standard to discuss the Best Picture winner. Oh yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah, that'd be great. All uh, of you uh, who aren't. Facebook friends yet friend each other. Well, yeah, Houston, certainly. I think we all are. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Make sure you are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Nick, <laughs> Richard, sure, that's be perfect for that stuff. So,
1: um, last, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm, I just want to say before <laughs> uh, before we get to John. I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I say Frank this about Mike. I'm, to
0: announce me. <laughs> no,
1: I'm just, sorry, I am trying to make of you soon. too. <laughs> But I want to say about Mike's story, the thing that I, I really loved about the the way you told that story is just the you know the thread of like how one thing leads to another and leads to another, leads to another, and how yeah. ah, you know, if you're open to what is coming to you, you know, all of these things can can happen in your head and in your heart in terms of like music and what music can do for you. Um you know, just the idea that like this led to this, led to this, led to this. Led to this. And if you just follow that, um, it, it yeah. you know, there's this amazing thing that can happen. And that's like the perfect story, how, you know, it starts with, oh. you know, playing playing trombone in, a, in, in big band in high school. That leads to all of these amazing musical paths. You I, know? I think and I just yeah. want to say, yeah, and yeah. I also just want to say the, the Mighty Mighty Boston's put up one of my favorite albums of last year. So I just wanted to get that out there. too.
3: Yes, that was great great album
1: and, and, and you know uh, uh, mike I, I can't
2: say that i didn't like our rm and primus who are now two of my top five favorite bands i think i could say at one time i definitely were indifferent to both of those bands it was just like mm-hmm. because of the magic of music apps going deeper into things i mean look i'm yeah. listening to deeper i'm listening to deeper oingo boingo tracks and just going holy shit Danny Elfman is laying the foundation of his future music composer career, uh, movie composer career, with this freaking ongoing progress. So, you know, obviously, just like I said, when the show was, this conversation could be five hours. And of course, it could be, there are so many aspects. And so, I mean, we didn't even get to it would be a whole different show to talk about concert experiences with music. So that's a completely different show for somebody (laughs) else or down the line. Go on this episode, um, Greg. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So John, uh, I wanted to make fun of you, but at this point, like last and least, but no, I don't really mean that, and you know that. This has just been wonderful with every different perspective we've heard. And now last, but certainly in no way least, my co-host and bonded... I don't even want to say directly through music. I, I, I'm sorry, indirectly through music. Directly, it really happened because of music, because it first happened with that first, oh, we're both Primus fans, cool. And then, of course, I don't need to say uh, anything else that, that occurred after that. But it did all happen because of Primus. Now, John, uh, obviously, you have a story. So tell us your music story and, uh, and uh, just take it away, John.
0: Sure, I'll tell a story. This is going to be the part that you edit out
2: there's an abridged and unabridged version i'm sure of it but we'll see go ahead
0: <laughs> and you, you're not even going to be aware that i'm on the show so anyway um no, i'm actually so i'm uh, f- first off i want to just point out that we are we're on a, a video zoom conference uh which obviously is not going to be what is uh, broadcast that's just correct the, the audience but i've been watching mike's video for like the last five minutes and mike what are you doing you're just like walking all over the place <laughs> yeah what's I'm a, happening I'm a just all walking right. around yeah i get it I, I i do the same thing i understand <laughs> but i'm uh you know i can't i can't do that because it would look weird and i i have my um i have my tablet so i can't exactly walk around the house with it. it's a big bulky thing so all right so as far as my my music history goes it was fifth grade. I started. Uh, I, I actually started uh, playing guitar a year before I started playing the drums. But the way that I got into guitar, two, two things that happened. First off, my older brother, Dan, played guitar and kind of got me interested in playing guitar. And two, this is the story that I actually really enjoy telling. I used to be kind of embarrassed about it when I was a kid, but now I say it with pride. Weird Al Yankovic got me into music. I hey, like, nice. I think, I, think he, I think he got yeah.
2: a lot of people into music. First yeah, cassette like, tape ever got God, me, was
0: polka party. He got, he got me he got me nice. He got me into like actually playing music. I think the first song that I heard by him by by him was fat or something like that. And uh slowly not slowly I should quite quickly I got into smells like nirvana. And Smells yeah. Like Nirvana got me into Nirvana. And Nirvana got me wanting to play guitar. My brother played guitar. He taught me a little bit. Uh, I would ask him how to play like a million different songs. He got annoyed and he stopped showing me how to do it. So I got <laughs> an actual, I, I got an actual <laughs> guitar teacher. And uh, so, yeah, there, there's my, my path onto guitar playing. And then I think s- at some point, The next year, my mom was like, you got to do something extracurricular in school. I was in sixth grade at this point. She was like, what about the school band? And I said, (laughs) I'll join the school band if I can play drums. And I did not know. You know, fortunately, I didn't know that when you join the school band as a drummer in the sixth grade, all you do (laughs) Is play a single snare drum, or play the mallet, you know? And but you know, like fine, whatever. By the time I joined, by the time I realized that, I was like, oh well, you know, I'm already, I'm already in it. I guess I might as well do it. And yeah, you're like I'm the podcast co-host. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, there is nothing I can do if I stop doing it now. I'm a dick, <laughs> so I'm just gonna power through the rest of it. So anyway, uh, there was a, there was a drum set. There was a drum set in the back room of the, the 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 band room, and you know sometimes the drummers. I guess when we had like a like you was know, dr- drummer session. I don't know exactly how it worked. I don't even know if I got to miss class because of it, but whatever. So sometimes we would get the things done and we'd be like, oh, let's go play the drums in the back. Like we would always say, can we play the drums in the back room? Cause we want to play the drum set. And, uh, yeah. So that kind of evolved into me actually getting a drum set. My, the day before I started eighth grade, got lessons, did my thing. um, You know, I mean, I was back in those days in eighth grade, I was more kind of into I loved Metallica, by the way. It was like that was my favorite band back then. But I loved Mm -hmm. bands like like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, like those kinds of, you know. So I would learn how to do that kind of stuff on the drums. I had a drum teacher who was like, yeah, just bring your CD. Play the song, and I'll, you know, if, if I think it it fits your, um, your level of playing, uh, certainly, absolutely, and I think there may have been one or two where he said, "This is really advanced. I'm I'm not sure we should do this right now." One of them was "John the Fisherman" by Primus. And uh, <laughs> of yeah. yeah, the guitar superstar. Lady. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which by by the way, at this point now. Primus, most Primus songs I can play with a relative amount of ease. I've become quite advanced. I've stuck to it a lot. I play the double bass. I play single bass. I do, I'm in a metal band. I'm in a classic rock band. You know, like, it's just sort of like, so we're going to, we're fast forwarding because a lot of the stuff in between is kind of me going back and forth between like me actually wanting to play guitar, wanting to play the drums not really being that interested in music anymore. The last, uh, I want to say, five or six years was when I just kind of really like landed back into it. And uh, now, yeah, these past six years, especially this past, I want to say, two years now, uh, I've really been more into learning the dynamics and getting into one thing or another and you know like now i am so much more advanced than i was two years ago because two years ago it was more like i can listen to it i can play it now it's like i'm listening deeper i'm getting those more specific things or i'm putting my own spin on it now that's my story as a musician my story as a music fan Mm. is kind of interesting too uh and and you know I'm not gonna go into all the tiny little details because not everything is super interesting. I will just say that back in I think it was two thousand six two thousand seven, I started getting in, into more like classic like sixties seventies rock music, and you know like we were all saying there were there was kiss there was uh uh what else was queen there was led zeppelin there was just like all those those kinds of you know super popular bands from the 70s and the doors from the 60s the thing with led zeppelin was an interesting thing for me because i always thought okay led zeppelin is this really popular band and you're (laughs) supposed to like them you are you know You're supposed to like them. You put on Led Zeppelin and you're not allowed to not like a Led Zeppelin song. So I always thought, I love Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin's great. It's wonderful. John John Bonham is one of the best drummers I've ever heard in my life. And then (laughs) it was actually kind of funny because only like two or three years ago, I realized listening to Zeppelin, and by the way, if you love Led Zeppelin, that's wonderful. I have no issues with that. But to me... It's like
2: like like David Lynch Lynch. fans. Yeah, David, you know,
0: yeah. Right, yeah. Listening to Led Zeppelin is effortful. And it always has been. And I just never realized it. Um, Because I'm always like, oh, yeah, I love Led Zeppelin. They're great. They're fabulous. They're wonderful. Like, what's your favorite Led Zeppelin song? Um, What (laughs) songs do I like by them? I guess, I don't know, Stairway to Heaven. Which, like... What what Led, Zepp- <laughs> what Led Zeppelin fan says "Stairway to Heaven" is their favorite Zeppelin song, oh, right, but right. So, right. so I finally realized that I'm really not super into Zeppelin, and I don't think I mean John Bonham was a fabulous drummer, but I don't. I'm not a big fan of John Bonham's drumming myself, and it's funny because I always I thought was like, oh this is very this is actually very freeing for me to to finally come to realize this. So I start telling people this, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not really a Big Zeppelin fan. I don't. I'm not really a big John Bonham fan." And the backlash, like, I oh, no, I remember ris- that. Responses. Yeah. Oh, I get that the time. time. Yeah, the responses that people have to me, not thinking mm. that John Bonham is just like the king of all that is drums. People are like, "Oh, I'm sure you're a shitty drummer. Then I'm sure no, your boy. drumming is not.
2: Uh, not yeah, dramatic. it's ridiculous. Like, yeah."
0: Yeah. And I'm like, you know, way, way back in the day, I would have been upset or insulted by that kind of thing. Now I'm like, someone says that to me. And I'm like, wow, I really feel sorry for you for, for saying something like that, for having that kind of response to me saying, I don't really like John Bonham. Okay. It has absolutely no effect on your life, but you feel so personally attacked by me saying that that you are, without doing anything about me, attacking me as a musician. So
2: those are the two big things. It's not right in all of art. If if somebody said they didn't like in in the acting world Dustin Hoffman, you'd get the same kind of reaction, you know? It's like,
0: okay, who cares? Like like someone, people Uh, have told me that they... Yeah, people have told me that they don't like musicians that, you know, I think are great. Yeah. And really the strongest, the strongest response I have is, wow, you're crazy. And then like, that's it, you know, like, okay.
1: And I yeah. don't even
0: think that they're crazy because certainly you're entitled to your opinion, you know, and there's, that's why, and the people who agree with me, which by the way, like most people are like, yeah, of course, you can certainly think any way you want. Doesn't mean we can't be friends, this, that, and the other. And they all say if everyone had the same opinion how fucking boring would the music world be the movie world yeah. any kind Everything. of world any kind of world it goes yeah like that to politics
2: too but we won't get into that yeah <laughs>
0: so that's that's me i um that's that's basically my story again you know we are we're already over 2 hours in right now I'm not yeah gonna, yeah 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 but yeah those those are the two things that have kind of really shaped me as first of all a musician a, a unique musician and someone who's kind of really not not um reluctant to say this is what I believe this is how I yeah. feel
2: so I, yeah, I, again, there's it. no there's no misinterpretation of art of any kind, but because we're talking specifically about music, look. First of all, I happen to think there are some Zeppelin songs I adore. There are some Zeppelin songs I, I don't think that there's a you like you know you know how much I love uh, Pearl Jam, REM, uh, 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 Toad the Wet Sprocket, Primus, uh, uh, and Soundgarden uh, and Alice in Chains. I'll just use all those as examples. Believe it or not, I skip some songs in certain of those albums as we all do, but like I can't say, like and just at the top of my head, like I listened to Beastie Boys, License to Ill, and for me and I don't consider Beastie Boys are probably not even in my top 10 favorite bands, but License to Ill is a perfect album with not one bad track in my mind. But yet, okay. of the favorite bands that I just mentioned, there are songs, numerous songs from all of them that I uh, skip. And again, uh, people really have to open their eyes and open their mind to opinions and also realize that opinions aren't facts. Yeah. When you're opinion. talking about- a, Yeah. Yes. An, informed, an uninformed opinion on a fact is, not a, uh-huh. is when an opinion doesn't count. But when you're talking about art, there's no wrong opinion. And that, that irks me. And I think that's what like, the whole message of tonight came down to- Hey, listen, guys. This has been great. Um, wait, hold uh, on. Wait, 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 yeah, wait, yeah, wait, wait,
0: wait. Wait, one second. One second. Well, I I it.
2: Ending, 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 ending. Don't worry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, I, I had. Um, there were there were going to be two things that I wanted to say. One that I recall because you know, like Rich says, I'm getting older too, so my my memory isn't working as well as it used to. I
2: couldn't believe. Uh, yeah, I, I went up, as they say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: right yeah so I should take notes um the the thing that kind of made me realize that this whole thing about Zeppelin you you're talking about skipping tracks is that yeah. I am really into vinyls and I have the first six Led Zeppelin vinyls you know in my collection it's it looks really pretty it looks really nice not that <laughs> I look, not, not that I not that I listen to them very much but you know they they look really good in my collection um and that's when I realized, I'm like, Led Zeppelin 4, I can't skip tracks, you know? And I'm like, I just want to skip the track, and I can't. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, I guess I don't really like them. So the second thing that I do recall now, um, Greg, I think I told you about this. This one guy, Dave Stamback, I believe is his name, actually blocked me. Blocked me on Facebook.
2: And do you remember because this, yeah. I,
0: yeah, Because I said... I don't think that Led Zeppelin 4 is that great. And yeah, so that, that was, of all the politics and all the, you know, like personal opinions and like misinterpretations and all that stuff, Yeah, that has held the record for most ridiculous reason for me having been blocked on Facebook.
3: Because you don't and like Zeppelin. Again,
0: yeah. right. It's his, it, look, it's his right doesn't owe me anything. I don't have to doesn't need to keep me as a friend. Um he doesn't realize though that for the past year and change, I and my friends have been relentlessly like shitting on this guy because because of his his like this is my standard for, for what it means to be a friend. So anyway, go ahead.
2: Oh uh, you're so yeah but it's a perfect example of people mistaking their opinions for facts. Yeah. Um, and there's no wrong opinion. You don't love Zeppelin, so you don't love Zeppelin. I mean, I hate. Ooh, that could be a strong word, but the Beatles were bubblegum rock of their time until the later Paul McCartney stuff, which gets me right here in the gut. But you know, I hear things like "I want to hold your hand," and I hear things like um, "You say goodbye and I say hello." I think that's one of the dumbest songs ever written, in my opinion. You. I have to write a song now. Okay, yeah. Well say goodbye. You say goodbye
4: <laughs> You know,
2: but his later stuff, the later Beatles stuff, the long and winding. Let it be the whole album. They're breaking up. I mean, I mean the long and winding road. And yesterday is a song I happen to love. And, and, and you didn't. I mean, and opinions are opinions. But like. Give me older Beatles. I will turn it off in a second. I I, I I really cannot stand early Beatles. And that's my right, but I do agree with what everyone's current. It was really like for me then when hearing the Beatles, I guess it's, ah. I guess I like Paul's stuff better than John's stuff. So, that was Greg, my did, issue
0: did, too. Greg, are you, Greg, are you aware that, that Are you aware that Hello Goodbye is actually one of their later songs?
2: Oh, no, 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 I, I, I don't mind if I'm off with the era and stuff. I'm just saying that there's some Beatles songs that I find absolutely just horrendous to listen to. But on the flip side, there's the deep stuff. Um, I, I can't believe we never talked about The King. Although, funny enough, my random question of the week would be of a very big interest to The King, Elvis Presley. Um, Elvis Presley, at his core, was country. Um, uh, uh, Elvis Presley, uh, um, I know that, uh, if you ask my mother, I, go, I do not like Elvis's rock, love is ballads, you know, I, and, and she's not wrong for having that opinion. And of course, you mm-hmm. know, that Elvis, every, we, I'm glad though that we touched on, we mentioned the Beatles, we mentioned Elvis, we mentioned Zeppelin we I mean, so this has been one hell of a packed, uh, music show. <laughs> um, so wait. As I always do with season 2 shows, we have no choice but to do the random question of the week, but it's a very it's a very small one. It's a yay or nay question that it's Elvis Presley was a perfect segue. Um, and I'll uh, ask the question and it's a yay or nay and uh, I'll just go to each person randomly and you just say yay or nay. Uh, you you can explain as to why. It's a nay or a, a yay or a nay, but okay, the question of the week is random question of the week. Chunky peanut butter, yay or nay, I say yay because all peanut butter, for me, is a different peanut butter experience. All brands, you got your Jif, you got your skippies, and you got your Peter Pans and your Reese's, it's all different peanut butter experiences, and so for me, chunky peanut butter, some people consider chunky peanut butter like orange juice with pulp. I don't look at it that way, I look at it as its own separate peanut butter experience you may not even like peanut butter. I don't know. I, I can't wait to hear your answers. Let's start with Richard Binder.
1: Well, I you know, I don't know that I've ever given it that much thought, but I'm gonna say yay <laughs> to, to I'm gonna say yay to Chunky. Um, okay. you know, maybe you know, maybe something will happen in the next couple of weeks. So totally turn me around on that. But for right now, I'm 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 sticking with yay. Mm. and that is the nature of our random question of the week uh michael madden you're yeah, uh, your nay chunky
2: peanut butter that's a big nay for me Right. Okay.
3: just you don't want those happy little surprises whenever you're eating your peanut butter and jelly sandwich you want a nice <laughs> smooth going down sandwich and then you got this chunky stuff in
2: there no just right, down man. on that i uh I make a, uh, a, a guilty pleasure sandwich for me while we're on the uh, subject is uh, I'm not going to say the V word, but it's a guilty pleasure sandwich since going the V word. Um, and it's, and it's earth balance butter as a base on your two pieces of white bread. You get your earth balance oh, butter. Word. Okay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's not that big. I'm caught up now. Words. Okay. No, I'm exactly. good. I'm why, good. Gonna, yeah. why do I want to uh, get a stereotypical trunk going in here? So you get your Earth Balance butter, or you can't believe it's not butter, or anybody who isn't that. Hey, make it regular butter. So,
3: so you're that? not having a Vegemite sandwich then? No, no. So you get your, you <laughs> get your Mr. base.
2: You get your base I said, of um,
0: Greg. I said, said the, cr- I said the crunchy cock. Yes, yes, as, as I heard
2: that <laughs> reference to it on the show That's way like to go. Um, so real quick, before we go to DJ Nick's opinion on chunky peanut butter, yes, you get your two pieces of bread. Uh, try this if you like chunky peanut butter. Um, uh, Mikey can leave out the chunky peanut butter. Don't worry about it. Okay, so you get your two slices of bread. You get your – and I I think I invented this sandwich. I mean, I I mentioned it to people, and they go, ooh, mm, interesting. So you get your butter. <laughs> if, if, if you are a vegan, use your butter substitute. I There, I said the V word. So you spread yeah. your can't-believe-it's-not butter on the, on the two pieces of white bread. Then you get your peanut butter, your smooth peanut butter, and you spread that on both pieces of your white bread. Then you get a little bit of the chunky peanut butter, and you put that, not, not as much as your regular peanut butter, but you put your, uh, a little chunky peanut butter on both slices too. Then you put your teaspoon of jelly on one side, your teaspoon of jelly on the other slice of bread. Spread that around. You have an amazing guilty pleasure Greg Vorob, insane PB&J sandwich right there with butter. Try it if you're interested to all the listeners and any of you guys. DJ Nick, Chunky Peanut Butter, yay or nay?
4: I guess I'm going to say yay. Uh, for somebody who barely consumes peanut butter or sandwiches on a regular basis, uh, <laughs> I guess yay?
2: <laughs> okay, <laughs> John. John, uh, chunky yeah. peanut
0: butter. Yeah, your name. Did I ask you already? You're last. You did right? not ask me. No. Um, we we were polite to our guests. We let them go first, then the co-host. um yes. I mean, I I like chunky peanut butter. It gives you something to chew on. You know what I'm saying? Like this. Yes. I, yeah. I I I am much like um, DJ Nick. I am not a big consumer of peanut butter. I do enjoy peanut butter and. Did Elvis Presley like peanut butter? Is that
2: is that why oh, this God. question has to
1: do with the peanut butter, peanut peanut butter and banana? Peanuts. Peanut butter and banana, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
2: Okay, the bacon, yep. fried peanut butter bananas, oh yeah, yeah, sandwiches. yeah, Cause, yeah, yeah. Because you're, like, you're like, you're and like Larry my
0: question, because you're like my question of the week has to do with Elvis Presley. Do you no, like cookie no. <laughs> peanut butter? So I'm like, anyway. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that was,
2: that was, I, I also ate this sandwich that was an entire loaf of bread with peanut butter and jelly and Marlon Brando, too. If we were talking on an acting show, he was he ate jars of peanut butter. Uh, so, so, yes, Marlon Brando and Elvis Presley are infamous peanut butter fans. Yes.
0: They said, give
2: me my peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyway. all, John? Because we're all on Zoom we just actually saw John do a great brando. That's not too bad.
0: you you didn't hear me do such a great brand but it looked really good
2: (laughs) no that wasn't too bad i would i would call that passable um all right okay all right so we're up to plugs i'm gonna go like in the in the uh from from left to right order that i have so richard is there anywhere uh anything you have to plug any friend that you have to plug any place people can find you on social media, if you want them to, anything at all, uh, take it away, Richard.
1: Um, my friend, Alex D'Souz and I um, have mm-hmm. this little duo where we do um, mashups together. We have a page on Facebook. At, so you look up Binder Suits, that's B-I-N-D-E-R-S-U-Z-E. Uh, we have a page there. We also have uh, videos all over YouTube. Um, one of these days we're actually gonna get back in a space and not be masked and put one of our mm-hmm. multitudinous ideas that we've been coming up with for the past two years of this pandemic together. Um, but there's a, there's a pretty good amount of stuff there where we will eventually be available for weddings and bar mitzvahs. So, you know, mm-hmm. call us when you're call us when you need wedding bar mitzvah mashups. And and should be a thing.
2: And I've heard it, folks, and it's beautiful. And Richard, you are uh A master on the keyboards. I I I love. I I heard. I loved. And then, I don't remember which song it was, but I couldn't. I didn't believe that this mashup could exist, and it just worked perfectly. And it was a Binder Sue's (laughs) thing. You said to me, I don't remember which one it was, but I like. They figure out mashups you would not even think could go together. Mike, anything you need to plug, anywhere you need want people to find you, or any buddies you have to plug, or anything you need to plug, where we can find you. Go ahead. Hmm.
3: I don't think I have anything to plug right at the moment. All right.
2: okay, uh, All right. Mr. Yeah. 5,000 Friends on Facebook. You don't want anybody yeah, to find no. you on Facebook, social media, anywhere, whatever.
3: Try to keep it on the down low. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right.
2: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Madden. Um, um, my wife's side bitch. Okay. And that's an inside joke we just heard <laughs> out. Brenda probably has been sitting through this three-hour show, whatever version or whatever it's going to be, listen to. she's waiting for her shout-out, and there it was. This okay. goes out to Brenda and Andy. Brenda and Andy. Our, we have a little quadrangle thing yes. going on. It's, it's nothing much. Don't worry about it. um, <laughs> DJ Nick, your
4: usual plugs! Alrighty, here we go. Well then, uh, folks, if country music is your speed, you can find me on the uh, hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more information about that and where to tune in, you can visit our website. That's Whiskey and Cigarettes Podcast wise, if superhero movies are your speed, we I do host Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast. We discuss all superhero movies under the sun. And if uh, Oscar winning pictures are your thing, myself and the delightful Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend host Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we'll we're going through all the best picture winners in chronological order. We just finished the 60s and now about to enter the me decade, of course, which is the 70s. And if superhero TV shows are your speed, Myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone podcast where we are currently discussing Superman and Lois while we're waiting for Moon Knights to drop. Or if you are fans of Titans and Doom Patrol, Charles and I can be found on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we wrapped up the latest seasons of Titans and Doom Patrol and actually got to chat to uh, some of the folks who worked on the Doom Patrol podcast. So that's pretty much me. And if uh, you are of the Instagram persuasion, you can find me on DJ Nick the Shale, my geeky and nerdy loves for everything that is geeky and nerdy.
2: And uh I I am it's not too long now that I will be back on Happiness and Darkness doing the Batman but I think I already know that in 2023 I'm doing Schindler's List what, what is that that sometime Actually
4: you will be end you will be closing 2022 Greg cuz Schindler's okay. List will be our last film of
2: 2022. righty I'm looking forward to that but like uh I had been wanting to put DJ Nick on this show as much as I was on his, and now he's been on mine more than I've been on his, and has helped me with mine more than his. So, like, it's my pleasure to do the Batman and Schindler's List, but I'll do anything for you. Well, Greg,
4: I offered you you to discuss stuff like barbed wire and steel and stuff like that. I don't don't know if I want to do barbed wire wire or steel.
2: well, no, that's not exactly how it went down. No, I mean, I would do anything to know that at the drop of the hat, I will be there for you if something happens in the interim or something happens between the Batman and Schindler's List on your two different stuff, you know for a fact, I mean, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this whole season, we'll get to that next week, but this whole season wouldn't have been the same without you, Nick, and you uh, know that. Okay.
4: You are too kind, it is an honor and a pleasure. And mm-hmm. by the way, Greg, if you are available, how would you feel about coming on to discuss Son of the Mask, the mask sequel? Oh, dear. Um, is, that, is that on Sunday? That is would that the- be on Happiness in Darkness on Sunday. I mean, our next film is going to be Punisher Warzone, and then we
2: have, uh, I believe, Son of the Mask. All right. Well, well listen, uh, I, 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 if I can do anything for you at the drop of a hat i (laughs) will so we'll we'll discuss that we'll discuss that uh and john your usual plugs
0: hi you want to find me on facebook john seymour j-o-n space s-e-y-m-o-u-r uh my dio themed band ronnie james Dio, a lot of rainbow and and dio solo stuff we are playing Rams American Pub. The address there is 236 Union Avenue in Holbrook, New York. I hope to see some someone from this group there. I don't know. And um, my my other band, it's a 90s 2000s party rock band. We do nice. uh, bands bands like Jimmy Eat World and uh, and Guns and Roses, and uh, I think we tried to do some Kiss, and we decided to uh, to abandon that. But we are playing uh, March 12th at, uh, what's the place called? Casa del Sol in Nyack, New York. The uh, address eludes me, but if you're interested, Casa del Sol in Nyack, New York. And uh, so that's where I'm going to be. And and I want to say, it's, you know, DJ Nick does such a good, Advertising, especially with his, with his accent, I feel <laughs> it, 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 it's a it's, a it's back, all the accent, John.
3: <laughs>
0: No, you're pretty, you're pretty flowing with it. The Cheers. accent doesn't hurt, like, but you flow. So anyway, so that's uh, I, that's what I, I got going on. I,
2: I have to say this, uh, I and just in real quick, I I worked at Brookstone for nine years, and at one point there was one of the managers from England. The man looked like comic book guy. I know I bring up people that look like comic book guy a lot, but this guy was from England, but he didn't only look like comic book guy. He looked as if comic book guy didn't shower, which I don't think he's supposed to, but this was, it was the sloppiest a I, I, I presentation He would, but like he would speak he was from England and women would swoon. they'd just be like, oh anything you say because he would just because he had the accent and I found it to be one of those hysterical things. And I never directly said to him, I can't believe you are so lucky to be here in, in America because I'm sure back in england you are gross but you're just not gross you, have, you have you have no ability to be gross here i'm smelling your body odor. i'm looking oh, right Jesus. at you you look like a, you, you know you look like you could play in a biopic uh a, a sydney green Street's fatter uglier brother and yet you're beautiful sir so yeah It's Um, my name name um, is Jeff Elberton. (laughs) So, of course, I mean, this is it's like just hit me right now that I'm going to tell you all that you could, of course, find us on Twitter at MSV Podcast One. I actually do not know the day that people are listening to this show. Join us for our next show, which I don't know the day you're going to hear that. And that is with our fellow R.E.M. buddy uh, Mike, uh, with Kate Fricky on the next show. Uh, that should be a fun one. And that is our penultimate. Who better to have than somebody you could speak a myriad of topics with than Kate Fricky on our penultimate show? But I know for a fact that on January thirtieth, our second season and series finale. Series doesn't mean we're completely done, but it really is our unofficial official ending on january 30th then we're gonna have some past guests back and dj nick of course will be in the house uh running the ship and uh it's gonna be fun and so uh i hope you enjoyed this week our next show uh, again uh just follow us on twitter so you know when these shows are airing i have a feeling the weekend might get away from us there due to the nature of uh this show and that we're recording tomorrow and there's editing to be done on both of them but Thank you so much for this mm-hmm. fascinating conversation. Again, John can vouch for this. I couldn't even believe that this was an MSV podcast episode as I was listening to all of you speak, John uh, uh, included. <laughs> and it was just fascinating. Was, and we could, we could go I, on I, for three more hours if we wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. But thank I, I you so much for being here. Yes. Considering, considering the
0: number of people on this show in this particular episode, it was very well organized. So that was, uh, you know, cheers to you on that one.
2: Um, well, I know who to pick. I know who to pick. I know what I'm doing. Guys, thank you so much for joining. I'm talking to the audience not right, right now, not the four of you. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you on the next show with Kate Fricky, whenever that may be. Take care, everybody. Shit!